Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. This is just the start of it. Like, you know, all the teams are going to be able to guard. All the teams are going to be physical-like, you know, but there's just a lot of weapons across the board. And we lost a lot in our league, but then you see other guys improve, new faces that are really good. Um, so every night's going to be a chore. You know, when you prepare to play a team, you, you want to prepare to play the best, right? They're, what you've seen them put on film being their best, and I think the last two games they've shown that they can beat any team in the country. And so that's our preparation. That's our challenge. We're saying that's the team we're going to face, and uh, we'll see what – what happens tomorrow, but that's what our mental preparation has to be. Halliburton directly on top, left edge. Heald is unconscious. Let's see what he does here. Sends it to the corner where Neesmith drives to the goal and with Allen waiting for him at the front of the rim, he went up and threw a sledgehammer right down on Allen. Goodness gracious. Jared Allen. Wow. It's going to be a long night. 121, 119. You know, he is the ultimate team guy. He he, he plays a role that um, a lot of guys in the NBA are afraid to play, which is you tell them to play the four and guard a big guy, great. You, know, you tell them to guard the elite score, great. Um, you tell them to just go stand in the corner, great. He has no problem with any role that uh, we give him. And for him to be a closer tonight in a game where we needed someone to close this game out, uh, big moment. And, and the guys gave him a lot of love in the locker room, and I think we're all excited for Aaron. We will start this show with a simple question. Jimmy Cook. I'm not great at simple questions. Are the Indiana Pacers a wagon? Hell to the yeah, BK. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Woo! Huge win, honestly. Huge win. Beating the Cleveland Cavaliers. Actually, sort of demolishing them when you get to the fourth quarter. Shout out Buddy Heald for the quickest three in NBA history. That was remarkable. I was not in the building to see. Only caught highlights. You know, when you talk about a basketball player with a quick trigger... Uh, that is a totally new de- definition of that term. That was amazing. Aaron Neesmith, who we will hopefully have joining us at 2.30, ended, well, maybe not, but posterized Jared Allen. That's a end-of-career type dunks, Jimmy. <laughs> put him on a poster. Yeah. Oh, oh <laughs> man. Do you want to be Jared? Lay, lay him to rest. Do you want to be? Yeah. Do you want to be Jared Allen this weekend? <laughs> He's having a nice New Year's Eve celebration. Jared Allen's getting ready to go out. Maybe let's say he goes to a Cleveland bar, and all he can see when he walks in the bar, probably the television would be on Sports Center. They're going to do their plays of the week. Imagine walking into a bar and watching yourself just get face planted into. <laughs> the, the way Tyrese Halliburton talked about the dunk itself post game, BK, you can make an argument that thing's going to appear in the year end highlights. Oh, that's going to be on like, the. It'll definitely be on the weekly highlights, but you can make an argument yeah. whether it's just NBA.com's top 10 dunks for the year or whether it's 
top 10 highlights overall. You can make a case. Maybe it's getting in there in some capacity. That is going to be used by the Pacers for every single hype video pregame until the end of time and or until Aaron Neesmith's time in Indy comes to an end, which hopefully is not anytime soon because he has been terrific over the last couple weeks. 22 points for Aaron Neesmith last night, 29 for Tyrese Halliburton. Buddy Heald dropped 25, 5 of 6 on threes for Buddy. Tyrese was 6 of 8 from three-point land, and then 23 more points for Ben Matherin off the bench. Jimmy, there are the ebbs and flows of the NBA. You know that very well. But we have talked a ton about this, let's call it, six or seven game stretch for the Pacers. They're going to go 4-3 in in these seven games, losing the back-to-back to Cleveland and New York, beating Boston and Miami on the road, disappointing probably in all of this is that Pelicans loss, but you retaliate with two monster wins against a good Hawks team and your former coach, and then the team that's a couple spots in front of you in the East. And slowly, Jimmy, that gap between Cleveland in four and Indiana in seven, that is quickly starting to close. And it's a redemption game, right? Because you look at, obviously, literally, the Cleveland game's a redemption game because you choked that game away in Cleveland back on December the 16th. And then you respond to that to win four of your next six games, one of them against the Cavaliers at home. And over that stretch as well, even if you let's take out the loss in Cleveland, the loss at home against New York, both of which were games that the Pacers should have closed, the Pacers should have won. They've won four of five since then against teams that are either projected to be or near the top of the Eastern Conference and throw the Hawks in there who are middle of the pack because on paper and this is this is no disrespect to the Pacers on paper and this is not a paper league Cavaliers are a better team on paper if you were looking at these two rosters and you pulled 100 NBA fans they would probably pick the Cavaliers over the Pacers so you already know from a standpoint of projected into the season why the Cavaliers were ranked so high because they go out and get Donovan Mitchell and they have a number of different playmakers on this team and a lot of size as well down low for Indiana to not only kind of have their way with them you could argue for two games BK I guess two and three quarters of a game because again that fourth quarter a bit nightmarish in Cleveland but after that game there's all these questions about can the Pacers close games are they just too young Are they too inexperienced? Are they not disciplined enough? And there is still so much NBA season left to be played. But to respond like that when going in, you're already a year that going to be in the lottery, not a playoff team right now, arriving too quick, slow your roll, all that fun stuff. To take all of that, wad it up, and win four of your last five since those two losses to Cleveland and New York, it just speaks volumes to why A, this team is a wagon, and B, If nothing else, you're going to have fun, enjoyable stretches of basketball in 2023, which is something we were not looking forward to last New Year's Eve. No, we were not saying this on December the 30th, 2021. That's for damn sure. But you mentioned the rebuild, Jimmy. We've talked a lot about what Kevin Pritchard has done from a trade perspective, rebuilding the Pacers. You know, when a lot of people were clamoring about Okay, we got to break up Sabonis, Brogdon, Turner, and throw in whoever else you want, Oladipo. People were right in needing that to happen in Indiana if they wanted to get where they wanted to go. 
Now, you never know how long something like that's going to take. Sports rebuilds are not created equal. Sometimes they'll go quickly. Sometimes they'll take forever. I think we're seeing that at kind of opposite wavelengths if you just go up I-69. In Detroit, it's taking forever. In Indiana, seemingly they've got the right pieces of older and younger, and it's gelling well right now. What happens at the NBA trade deadline is to be determined. But at least right now, Jimmy, maybe some fans were hoping, as you said, that the draft would come along and the Pacers can get one more piece. But Cleveland's a good example, Jimmy, where if you draft well and you have your veterans like a Jared Allen and a Kevin Love and you pair them with young talent like a Darius Garland or an Evan Mobley and then you make a trade for a Donovan Mitchell and a Karis LeVert, that can speed up rebuilds. And the Pacers, now that Kevin Pritchard has had a good draft, and he's going to have to put together a couple more before this is true, and what I'm about to say, but you have a Matherin and a Nemhard, you're going to have to draft well again this spring, but if you do that, and again, what happens at the NBA trade deadline, we'll see, because it's We've talked a lot about Buddy Heald. We've talked a lot about Miles Turner, where they may or may not be going. Let's say they stick around and the Pacers make one more trade, but this time it's a buying trade like a Donovan Mitchell type deal. The Pacers, there is a blueprint now, and that blueprint is in Cleveland, Ohio, of how to speed up rebuilds. And Jimmy, what did we say last week? When the book is out on something that works in sports, it will often be copied. We talked about it yesterday with Chris Hagan, and that was that, and we talked about it over the last couple weeks as well, but that was that there is a path to small market success in the NBA, but the hardest part to get to that path is the draft well. That's a hard thing to do. Hard. Like it, it is very hard to evaluate talent at a high level year after year after year. And I don't just mean like taking guys with a, a number one or number two overall pick that are projected to just pop right off the board and automatically make you a franchise contender. I'm talking about if you're in the later rounds of the lottery or if you are looking at trying to trade up or trying to evaluate a true difference maker in a middle spot in the draft order. That is the only way for a small market team that's not in like a a, a a luxurious destination to set a foundation to acquire the piece that puts you over the edge. More often than not, this is well known, but it has to be said on a day like today, free agents don't come to Indianapolis. Free agents don't come to Cleveland. The best way, free agents do, but high level free agents don't come to the cities that we love. They just don't. You have to hit everything right in the draft. And then maybe one hand, you draft so well that you're automatically a contender. Golden State's a big market, but that's kind of what happened to them with the they drafted the right 73 pieces. and yeah. nine Warriors. Yeah. Most of that entire run was drafted talent, a couple acquired pieces here and there, but the core was through the draft. That's an anomaly. Nobody hits it off in that well. A lot of teams passed on Steph Curry. He dealt with an ankle injury early on in his career. Like it's kind of a perfect storm. So that's you can't really use that as a baseline. What you can use though is what you're talking about in Cleveland, which is you were bad enough for a stretch of time where you had a couple high level picks, and then in the middle rounds that you had, you still nailed on those picks to a point that you look at the Eastern Conference, we're a player away. We're a player away from being 
a constant championship-level contender. They gave the farm for Donovan Mitchell, and he signed a long-term deal to be there. Those are the two key things of that, BK. You have to have the assets to make the move, and then you have to have the cap space and the ability to convince said player to sign that extension. Right? If Donovan Mitchell doesn't sign an extension in Cleveland, they're probably not making that deal in the first place because you can't give up all those assets to have a one-year rental. You just can't, particularly for a small market. So, yes, the foundation is there. We talked, discussed a little bit earlier in the week, and I know that bugs Pacers fans. It's always going to be, oh, is Miles Turner getting shopped? What do you do with Buddy Heald? Tony East had a lot of enlightenment for us that you still got another contract year left with Heald before he's in his contract year. Miles is the more piece that's going to be always talked about the rest of the year. And if they get an extension done, that puts all that to bed, and this is your core you're building around. So it is. It's, it's a great time. I ask you this, though. As you look at this roster, do you agree that and maybe they overachieve, we're not rooting against this, but are you in the camp that I am that I still think they're one, not necessarily high-level lottery, but they're still one great hit in the draft away, and they're going to have the picks to do it from being a, a true fear-on-a-nightly-basis team in the East? I half agree with you. Okay. I half agree with you. I don't know if it's a young player, because okay. I think the young core is enough. I think... If you get the Donovan Mitchell type signing, sure, and somebody does agree to come here, you said it perfectly. Where, Jimmy, where would you rather play? <laughs> would you rather? I'm sorry, Indianapolis. Would you Would you rather wake up every day with 85 you. degree weather next to the beach, or would you rather wake up living on the circle? I love no you, Indianapolis. I, I love you to death. I grew up here. Uh, my family's here. If somebody. If you're a 28 year old basketball I, if you're, player, you're play, you're, if I, I'm, I'm, I've given my life as a 28 year old basketball player. Where's the beach, baby? Where's the beach? It, Come it, on, look. We're not trying to convince anybody that that what we have is going to beat Miami or LA. And look, what, and that's not a. Sl- and that's there's fine. a lot of great things in this city. That is not like I love Indy, man. The f- just across the board, the sports town it is, the 500, the basketball heritage. Everybody in this room went to a school here in the state of Indiana. We love Indiana, but from a free agent's mindset, they don't love it like we do. Right. Here's what we have to become. The city of Chicago, Chicago's a destination because of the city, no doubt about it. But players still sign to go freeze their ass off for six months a year. You could come freeze your ass off here too, but I'll tell you what, we're going to play better basketball than what they have in Chicago. Right. We're going to play better basketball than what they have at the UC. You have to give them a reason to want to be here. You have to build yes. this thing yes. up and say, you know what? You could go live in a multi-million dollar top floor apartment in the John Hancock building. And you could have that view of Lake Michigan. All right? You can do that. But you know what you're not going to have fun doing? You're not going to have fun going to the arena every day and going to practice every day. Yep. You're going to get great views. You know what you're going to have fun doing here? Yep. All right? You could live downtown. Are you going to have the views of a downtown Chicago? No. But you know what you're going to do? You're going to have fun coming to the arena every day. You're going to have fun coming to practice, and you're going to build to a championship roster. And that's what makes small market teams appealing, when you build it the right way and you do it successfully. And again, it's a very hard thing to do. Look at Oklahoma City. They are a perfect both sides of that coin example. And they're still in the process of it because of all the picks they still have. But they hit out of this world, out of the park, with Durant and Westbrook and Harden. Right? Nailed it. Smoked it to Jupiter. And now in this second half of this rebuild, post those three guys, like, 
they have a lot of fun pieces, but they are constantly in the lottery and they haven't been able to replicate it. It is very hard to do. Pacers, it's still very early in the season, but Benedict Matherin is not, and no one needs to hear this, but we'll just say it for the sake of it, not a finished product. He's a rookie. He's a rookie coming off the bench. What they envision him being is a face of the franchise, and I say a face because he's probably 1A and 1B with Tyrese Halliburton with what this window is going to look like for the Pacers whenever we arrive there. Winning games and having fun with this and playing the role of spoiler, which is ultimately what's happening right now, is awesome. But the next step, the next leap is Matherin's ascension when it happens, maybe later this year, next year, and ultimately what they do either via the draft or, to your point, what they do free agency or trade market here in the next 12 months. Can I be the guy that disagrees with you on the the whole small small market thing? I mean, you can. You're sure. wrong, but you can. I'm not wrong, and here's why. <laughs> okay, go ahead. When you look at the small market, look at Milwaukee, for example. Free sure. agents want to go there because of Giannis. Right, but that's 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 to our point. That's what we're saying. No, your point here is saying that people don't want to come to Indianapolis because they're a small market. That's how I'm understanding the way you're phrasing you're, this right now. But and, and BK, tell me if I did that, because you're missing the, the second half of that sentence, and maybe I haven't addressed it, and if I have, let me clarify it. On paper... Nobody wants to go to Milwaukee either, except for the fact that a superstar is now there and you can contend. The Pacers are on that path right now to a point that if Matherin takes that ascension or maybe Halliburton's that right now, that they are suddenly an appealing destination. But if you miss on those picks, you're back to being a small market team that other players don't want to go play for. Because you have to sell a championship contention if you're a small market team. Agreed. To get a top tier player. So we're on the same wavelength. That I'm not trying to totally, and I and I thought I addressed that, but if I didn't, I apologize, and I appreciate you asking for the clarification because that's how it's done. That's how it's done from a small market perspective. You have to, because you're not the glitz and glamour of a big city. You have to have the right brand of basketball to sell to free agents or to sell to last year their contract trade pieces that you want to sign here long term. Cavaliers, you could argue maybe didn't do that, but Donovan Mitchell liked what he saw. Milwaukee's an excellent destination out at Eddie's point because Giannis is there. But it also doesn't always work. Look at LeBron. Like the Cavs struggled for years to fill that roster with high level because it, it that was more so to me management and, and I, I agree. Else. I agree with you too. But it, but it just it has to be brought up. But the point the, is though, the foundation, we're all in agreement on that. The foundation is there for Indiana. But the next 12 months and the rest of this season is going to be very fitting for what this team still needs and what they do with pieces that the national media thinks are outgoing. And that is Miles Turner and that is Buddy Heald. Whether or not that actually happens, that is just what's perceived among all the talking heads. Okay, so let me get, ask you guys this. Not, not player, but trait. What is it that would bring this team over the top? A wing. Yeah. They need a long athletic wing who fits kind of the age of Halliburton and with uh, Benedict Matherin, you know he's a, he's not he's not on the veteran level yet, but he's in like his third year in the league. He has some uh, experience, maybe in the postseason. He's a guy that defensively, because that's probably the main route you want to look for if the Pacers are, are looking to improve their roster. Um, come the trade deadline and you have to part with a buddy healed in a draft pick or two um, because you have three first round draft picks and you're and you're not sure if you're going to be able to have room for all three of those guys then I think the Pacers are looking for some 
someone like an OG Ananobi. Not OG Ananobi specifically, uh, because the asking price for him is going to be so large because yeah. the entire NBA wants OG Ananobi because of the way he plays defense, the way he creates fast break because he generates so many steals, uh, and, and he's come along offensively to become a real threat beyond the three-point line in today's NBA. Uh, that's huge. Jimmy? I agree with everything Eddie said. In a perfect world, if I'm trying to put a comp here, like just a, a, a player prototype, and this is tough because he's an elite-level player, you're not going to automatically find that. The, the, the top end of this, the top end of this type of player, in my mind, is a Kawhi or a Jimmy Butler. And that's not, you're not making that off of a tree. The low end of that, and this isn't meant to be insulting of him, but it's just somebody that's always been rumored to be an Indiana piece because he played college basketball here and he's always been linked here the last four or five years is Gordon Hayward. What I would want, hold up, hold up. I'm not saying I want that is something in the middle, a more athletic of those two, right? Maybe not more athletic than Jimmy Butler, but somewhere in the middle of that OG Ananobi, you could argue probably fits in that. He's obviously a little bigger, a little longer, but that's the type of player that I would need. Someone that operates on both ends. That is also a shot creator, but that fits well within Tyrese Halliburton being your primary ball handler. I'll tell you who's on my wish list. And by the way, I don't want Gordon Hayward to come here. Love Gordon Hayward, but that's not what I'm saying. I'll take Gordon Hayward here. Go dogs. Go dogs. Uh, But but anyway. I am the biggest R.J. Barrett fan in the world. I like it. I don't know if the Knicks would ever let go of him. He's only 22 still, which is really hard to believe. Yep. It feels like R.J. Barrett was at Duke 10 years ago, yet he is still 22 years old. I don't know where the Knicks are going. I don't know what they're doing. They like Jalen Brunson a lot, clearly. But R.J. Barrett is a shot creator. His defense is a tad lacking, which is a bit concerning under Tom Thibodeau. And that's, and I was going to say for a second, because thank you for that reminder, because I always forget where Tibbs is. I was going to say, well, on the one hand, maybe a coach like Carlisle can get the... But, but, but if he's not doing it with Thibodeau, well, is it that big of a leap? Here's the thing about Thibodeau, though, is that I, I, I don't know either coach personally. Right, yeah. Just from an outside perspective sure. of what Carlisle has gotten out of this team... It's a culture thing, that, and that would be my hope. It, right? It's a, that, and plus, you know, the Knicks are a Knicks are a big market. Spike Lee's on the sideline every day. You're getting screamed at. Your speed. Well, actually, you're getting screamed at by both Tibbs and the fans <laughs> at Madison Square Garden. Uh, so the defense is lacking, but everything else that this team is looking for, I think R.J. Barrett possesses. I've always been a fan of his game. He's got good size. He can shoot. So that's my wish list. But I think we're all in agreement, boys that the next iteration of Pacers basketball is going to be determined by that next big swing. Truly, where this team goes, let's call it from 2024 to 2027, even 2025 to 2027, is what happens in that next big swing. And whether it's the draft or a trade, for the first time in a long time, Jimmy, you can feel it at least getting built. This feels entirely different from the Nate McMillan stuff where you kind of said, okay, so they're okay, they're a first-round exit, and that's what we know for the next few years. Bjorken was a disaster. For the first time in a long time, you could say, is this an Eastern Conference Finals team in the next four years? You know, That's a question that was not asked under the last two head coaching regimes, Jimmy. And I don't know if this is stable, right? But you look at a player that is young, that has some length, 
that is currently on the roster for the Pacers. It just so happens to be our two thirty guest in Aaron Neesmith. <laughs> if if that's yeah. if that's sustainable level of play from him, which it's shown to this point, maybe it's not as far of a leap away from being a top shelf contender in the Eastern Conference than we think, because there's so much young talent on this roster right now, and it's it's more than just a highlight dunk every now and again, right? It's consistent play on both ends of the floor. It's he's worked his butt off to earn starting minutes and 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 be a starter throughout this season for the Pacers because there were so many mouths to feed in Boston that, that he was never going to ascend there. Maybe and Eddie would know this better than anybody because he's seen the most games of all of us. Maybe that is an answer to the equation, and maybe that is a reason why they're already feared right now, and why this is not a team that anybody's taking a night off for across the league. I, it's hard to really put into perspective how good this team is because there they have been times where they look good, there have been times where they look bad, but as of late they have looked great. Right, they've, they've figured out how to play in the first quarter because they struggled coming out of the gate to start the year. Uh, and then they were doing fine in the fourth quarter to begin the year. Then it kind of flipped. You know, the first quarter got better, but then closing out games got worse. Now they're in that spot where it seems like they have figured out how to start the game and how to close the game. But another name I kind of want to throw out here, it's it's an interesting name. He's 25 years old, but he's missed the last two and a half seasons because of injury. Dude is freaky, freaky long. Jonathan Isaac is mm. in Orlando. They have such a clog there in the backcourt. With Wendell Carter Jr., uh, Paolo Bencaro, just to name a couple of those forwards. That's an interesting name to monitor because he's down in the G League practicing right now. It seems like he's going to be back on the floor sometime this season, but I don't know where Jonathan Isaac fits within the playing time on the floor for that Orlando Magic team. And he is 6'10, he's 230, he can rebound and he can defend, which are two areas in which the Colts, or not the Colts, but the Pacers need to improve on. That's Eddie Garrison. I'm Brendan King. Jimmy Cook is here. Dan Dugan, who covers the Giants for The Athletic, he is going to join us in the next segment. Pat Forty, that's your boy, right, Jimmy? Indeed, the great Pat Forty, uh, one of the best writers in the country covering college football and basketball. Going to get a little bit of a pulse for him. A lot lot of bull talk for us throughout the day today, but Pat Forty, of course, one of the best in the business and one of our favorites. Going to get a set for that and also uh, talk a little bit about the rumblings regarding Big Ken Commissioner Kevin Warren, potentially yeah. uh, the links to that Bears job. We'll get his pulse on that as well. That's pretty crazy. Emory Jones is... Uh, Emory Hunt, actually, is going to jump on from CBS Sports. Yeah, Emory nice job, Eddie. Sorry. Nice you job, Eddie. You can't put Eddie. a question I was in a tra- teleprompter. I, dude, I was trying to pick it up before you said his <laughs> oh, name. Man. And, like, we can't communicate through smoke signals. No, we can't. We can't. Eddie! It's all your fault. Sorry. It's all your... I'm just kidding. You can't put uh, a question mark in the teleprompter, Eddie. I didn't. What does that mean? To play us out? (laughs) We got so many different references Uh, going on. Emery Hunt from CBS Sports HQ and CBS Sports Network. He covers the NFL from a national landscape. He'll be with us at 2 o'clock. And then again, Aaron Neesmith, the star of last night, who ended Jared Allen's career, at least for last (laughs) night. He'll be with us at 2.30, the former Boston Celtic. Remember, Neesmith did come over in that Malcolm Brogdon deal, which is... Now looking pretty nice, by the way, considering that Neesmith has stepped up. According to our guy Scott Agnes, you may be seeing Daniel Tice on the floor here pretty soon, depending on how much he plays in a Pacers uniform. Don't forget the Pacers did get a trade, or did get a pick out of that trade as well. Uh, Before we hit a break, first of all, a couple miscellaneous things. Your boy, Victor Wembenyama, MVP of the French League All-Star Game. Yeah. Yeah. 
nice get nice bonus for that. And then secondly, did you guys see the Malice at the Palace part two? We did. Woo! The I love the PA announcer stole Fans the show. Yeah, that was stay in your seats. That that's like you ever see the Elmo? They've had, they've had that copy ready. Yep. You ever see the Elmo yep. nuclear warhead meme? Yes. Yeah, that's, yes, that's yes. like Mouse at the Palace <laughs> Part 2. Uh, after the break, Dan Dugan, he covers the Giants with the Athletic. The Colts do have a game this weekend, as much as we'd like to forget it. New Year's Day in the Big Apple. Dan Dugan from the Athletic joins us next on The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Even though we've had a number of Colts people tell us that this doesn't feel the vibe of a spoiler team, uh, that's all there really is to play for outside of jobs for next year and their livelihoods and pride. No playoffs this year for the Colts. That's been known for over a week now. But the New York football giants, the G-Men, an opportunity during their first playoff bid since 2016 with a victory over the Colts on Sunday. Dan Duggan of the athletic beat writer for the New York Giants. Nice enough to take some time with us. Dan, first off, happy new year to you. And uh, thank you so much for making time for us. Yeah, same. Happy New Year to you as well. When you look at the trajectory of this Giants team, there's been a lot of of ups and downs over the last couple of years, particularly in the Daniel Jones era. I know it's a lot to ask for the opening question, but to encapsulate what this would mean to this organization when you see so many teams around the league, just like the Jaguars as well, fighting to end a championship or end a playoff drought, is a little bit of difference with New York with that being championship pedigree, trying to get back there. What would it mean to this group to be able to close out a playoff spot on Sunday? Yeah, like, I, mean, I don't know from afar if people realize just how low things had gotten here because, you, know, you know, they made this playoffs in 2016, obviously had you know, two Super Bowls in this century, but uh, the five years preceding this one, they had the worst record in the league, tied with the Jets for the worst record in the league. So I mean, they had completely bottomed out, uh, gone through – Three coaches since Tom Coughlin, uh, Brian Dable's the fourth. So it's just been uh, a ton of upheaval here. And uh, things were looking pretty bleak coming into this year because you figure uh, most of the core guys that are on this roster right now have been here for a ton of losing. So there wasn't a ton of optimism that, like, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley um, could lead the team to, to the postseason. But uh, obviously that's what they're, they're on the verge of doing. Um, it's really been a surprising year. I don't even know if you asked Brian Dable and, and GM Joe Shane before the season if they thought that this was – a likely outcome but um you know for so many years of not getting breaks uh, they've gotten them this year they've made their own breaks so i don't take anything away from them but um it's it's been a complete reversal from uh the spiral they've really been in the last five years hey dan it's brendan two-part question for you on daniel jones when it comes to his development how much of his slow start had to do with the almost what felt like constant coaching shuffle and then secondly, what has Brian Dable done for his game most? Yeah, well, so he's had a kind of an interesting start to his career. Like his rookie year, um, he comes in, Eli is still here, but they pulled the plug early and put him in. You know, he's a starter from week three and then the rest of the season. Uh, but that was with Pat Shermer. And, and Pat Shermer had, you know, a pretty, pretty good offense that worked well for Jones. But the big issue, he put up some nice numbers, touchdown passes, yards, a ton of turnovers, and it was really fumbled with more interceptions. That was a huge uh, issue early in his career. 
But since Shermer gets fired, they bring in Joe Judge and Jason Garrett. And the one thing they certainly focused on was limiting turnovers. They achieved that, but in the process, like, totally stripped him of any of the playmaking that was there his rookie year. So the last two years, he was just kind of kind of stuck in neutral. He had a neck injury that cost him the last six or seven games of last season. So really kind of a lost year. And then, you know, a new regime comes in. So it's his third, third coaching staff, third, you know, regime uh, in his time here. First thing they do is not pick up his fifth-year option for 2023, which is it's something now they probably wish they did in hindsight, but, I mean, totally understood the decision at the time. Um, but it felt like, you know, he was kind of in a prove-it year, and then the deck was kind of stacked against him. But he has really played well. I mean, he's not putting up monster numbers, but, uh, throwing the ball by any stretch, but he's kind of doing what they're asking him to do. He's not turning the ball over, making a lot of plays with his legs, uh, you know, just kind of doing enough to win games, which is something we hadn't seen because his career record coming into the year, this year was, was really poor. And, you know, he's been the guy at the controls for, for this turnaround this season. Dan, the biggest talk of the offseason, or one of the biggest talking points of the offseason was, can we get a not just a fully healthy, but but a, a consistent high-level season like we'd seen early on in his career from Saquon Barkley? There were a lot of doubters in that regard. What has been that journey like and this journey over the course of the season like as Saquon has really looked like for the entirety of this season like the top-tier back he was his rookie year? Yeah, no, it's really been remarkable. I mean, he definitely... Uh, you know, the injuries were, were a huge problem. You, know, you had that, that breakout rookie year, second year he missed some time, and then kind of played through a high ankle sprain, third year toward the ACL in week two. And then last year he was still coming back from the ACL. Then he had a bad sprained ankle that cost him time and never really kind of fully got his juice back, just recovering from that. So it's been really three years since we've seen that explosive, you know, number two pick version of Saquon Barkley. Uh, and, he, and he's back, and then some really this year. I mean, especially – the first five to seven games this year, he was like shot out of a cannon. It was crazy. You could tell he had he didn't make any secrets of it. He admitted that the doubters and everything fueled him. He had a point to prove, and he, and he played like that, and he ran like that. Uh, he did bang up his shoulder. Uh, the offensive line was kind of banged up. So he had a, a, a lull for about five games where he wasn't super productive, didn't look like he had that same juice. And then all of a sudden, uh, it's gone back the last two games. Uh, he closed out the win at Washington, which was a huge game for these guys, uh, like, three straight carries over 10 yards when they were in like a four-minute offense to try and put the game away. And then against the Vikings, obviously they lost last week, but made a huge play there. It's fourth and two. They're down by eight, and he breaks the, I think it was a 27-yard touchdown. They end up tying the game and losing on a 61-yard field goal. Uh, but, but to your Saquon point, I mean, he looks like he's kind of getting back uh, that early season form. And, yeah, he, he's definitely put himself back in that uh, top-tier running back conversation. And it's perfect time because, like, like Daniel Jones, he's in a contract year. So they, they're going to have some very interesting decisions this offseason with um, you know, the two most important players on offense, uh, both set to become free agents. Dan, I think it's really impressive that Jones has been able to do what he has done, even with basically his entire wide receiver room getting flipped over on its own head with injuries and the trade of Kadarius Tony, And then Kenny Galladay basically has been benched, right? So uh, talk about the re- receiver room for the Giants this year and kind of just how unpredictable it's been. Who's going to be on the field on a weekly basis? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's been crazy because if you were coming into this year, you would have said, you know, Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony, Sterling Shepard, and Wondell Robinson, the, the second-round pick, would have been the top four receivers. Uh, Robinson and Shepard, both up for the season with torn ACLs. Galladay is just, you know, in the winners' protection program here, they're just counting down the days so they can cut him and get out of that $72 million albatross that Dave Gettleman left them with. And then, of course, Tony was traded to the Chiefs, just a guy who was just, you know, they didn't draft him, was totally unreliable, couldn't get on the field, obviously. Uh, very talented, and you've seen glimpses of it in Kansas City, but he's also 
uh, been on the shelf a lot there. So that, that story kind of has continued in Kansas City. So they've, they've turned to guys who are, you know, young guys or guys off the scrap heap. I mean, their leading receiver is Darius Slayton, the guy who has been here for four years and was, was like a nice fifth-round uh, find in the 2019 draft. But he was buried by this coaching staff, this regime, and, uh, you know, had to take a pay cut to stick around, was a healthy scratch in week one. But with all these other injuries and, and issues at wide receiver, um, he's gone back in the fold. He's kind of a big play field stretcher. And then they, they snatched Isaiah Hodgins off waivers from the Bills, who obviously Dable and Shane uh, were familiar with. And he's really developed into a, a nice piece. He's not a, not a burner or anything, but he's just a reliable guy who gets open and, and somehow has uh, developed pretty good chemistry with Daniel Jones for guys who only been here for a handful of weeks. And then Richie James is a guy who, you know, is kind of cast off from San Francisco. And he's taken over the slot spot that was supposed to go to Sterling Shepard and Wanda Robinson. So he's really, you know, the third guy up there. And he's been a pretty reliable, productive slot guy. So, Certainly not a uh, a room loaded with all pros, but uh, they've done a pretty effective job, and that's where a lot of the credit goes to Jones. He's not going to put up you know 400 yard passing days with that crew, uh, but he's gotten kind of the most out of them. Dan Duggan taking some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline and the MotorShop.com for your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snow blowers, power tools, equipment, so much more. They have you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers or the MotorShop.com. Dan, the Giants beat reporter for the Athletic. Dan, the best spot for this Colts team all year, and there hasn't been a ton of it, has been the defense. Now, it's faltered a little bit as of late, but you look at arguments throughout the middle portion of this season, it's, man, if this offense was halfway decent, this is a playoff team here in Indianapolis. For the Giants, when you look at the ebbs and flows of their offense and the different weapons the Colts have defensively, how do these two stack up on paper in your mind? Yeah, well, so I think a lot of people here are looking at, you know, sort of the Colts' results and their record, and fans are thinking, oh, like, this should be an easy win, getting the playoffs, and that's obviously if they win, they're in. And I would assume it's going to be more of like a rock fight because, that's A, that's how the Giants play, and the fact that, you know, I don't think the Colts are a very explosive offense, but as you mentioned, their defense, um, you know, has kept them in game. So I'd be surprised if the Giants come out and put up a ton of points and a ton of yards. Um, you know, that pass rush will be uh, something to be reckoned with because the Giants' offensive line outside of left tackle Andrew Thomas – uh, is very inconsistent. Some some weak links there on the interior, which you would think uh, you know, DeForest Buckner could exploit. So uh, I don't think the Giants are going to come out and open it up and sling it around. I'm sure they'll be happy to just grind out a game with short passes, with Saquon. I um, mean, that's been their formula all season, so I can't imagine it'll change because, as you mentioned, um, the Colts do have a you know pretty stout defense, and uh, you're probably not super worried about their offense putting up a ton of points. I think if they feel like if they can just, you know, don't kill yourself with turnovers or anything, it's going to give the Colts a, a a boost, and that they should be able to win out in the end. Dan, I know New York sports fans are one of a kind, and I got a Yankees fan sitting next to me here, so I just want to get <laughs> your idea on the pulse of the fan base in New York because, you, as you said, you went through some tough years, and now Dable has given a lot of hope. But do do the from a fan perspective, do Giants fans believe that truly they are back, or is it kind of they're looking to see more before that happens? It's interesting. I mean, I think that there's a ton of optimism about this, you know, kind of Dable Shane tag team. Uh, obviously, fans have enjoyed this season because it's been a while since they've, they've won, you know, eight games, uh, let alone be on the verge of a playoff berth. Uh, but I think there's there's still a little bit of, I don't know, trepidation or kind of what's next because there's still a pretty good divide in the fan base on Daniel Jones. Like, he has some strong supporters, some strong detractors. I think most people are somewhere in the middle and, sort of like, well, how are they going to keep him if they keep him? Is it a franchise tag? Is it a 
a short deal? Like, is it a long extension? Like, there isn't a consensus there. And I think even the same kind of applies to Saquon, where like everyone recognizes the talent, but everyone, a lot of people also recognize that you know, big contract, the second running back hasn't been a great investment. Kind of you look around the league, so it's sort of like I think people are enjoying the ride, um, but I'm not sure like you know how people feel about the future because I think there are still some question marks about you know where this roster goes from here, and uh, it's going to be a fascinating offseason. However, this this season ends, I think you know Joe Shane's work really begins you know this offseason. Got to roll the sleeves and, and make some big decisions on the future of this roster. Dan, it's hard because Colts fans are conflicted, right? They, they they want to see the team at this point get a good draft pick, but the organization and, and the NFL on a weekly basis, like you mentioned, and why Giants fans shouldn't maybe think this is an easy win. Look at the Texans. Look at just teams towards the bottom of the pack that are still fighting because it is the NFL, and it is a cliche, but it's an any given Sunday mentality. If for some reason there's Colts fans listening that, that want to see their team with a couple wins here or there to close the year, uh, where is an area that – the Giants are exploitable even with a shorthanded Colts offense. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, on the offensive side of the ball, I think their pass rush is what would have to really kind of take over the game. Maybe, you know, create some turnovers. Uh, the Giants defense, uh, I mean, they're going to blitz a ton. So that, that seems like that's probably a good matchup for the Giants based on what I've seen from the Colts offensive line. Um, but, you know, you can hit a few big plays. I don't think a Dory Jackson, their number one corner is going to play. There was kind of on the fence, uh, but I'm not super optimistic he'll play. So, their secondary is, is a little bit weak, and you know I know the Colts have some pretty good receivers. So, uh, you know you'd hope maybe Nick Foles shakes off some of the rust that seemed like he showed on Monday night, and I think that's probably going to be their uh, the recipe. I would just think big plays would probably be the way for the Colts, whether it's making big plays on defense or uh, you know you know bust the coverage or hitting a deep shot on offense. Like I think that down in uh, down out the Giants are probably better, but I mean they're not they're not some juggernaut that's just going to come out and roll over the Colts. So you know anything can happen if you have a few you know big plays on the special teams. That's been a problem for the Giants too this year. Um, they're doing some big plays there, so that's probably another another aspect that they could you know kind of even the scales a little bit in this matchup. Stan Duggan, Giants beat reporter for the Athletic. Dan, appreciate you making time for us, particularly on game week. I uh, enjoy the rest of the season and look forward to following along with you. All right, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Dan. That's Dan Duggan, Giants beat reporter for The Athletic via the Mower Shop and Fisher's Hotline, themowershop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as power tools, equipment, services, and so much more. The Mower Shop has your back at the Mower Shop and Fisher's and themowershop.com. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll reset things, talk a little bit more in regard to the Pacers' victory over the Cavaliers last night, where we're at in terms of the Colts' these final two games of the season. A little bit later, Pat Forty of Sports Illustrated at the top of the hour going to take us through the New York Six Bulls, college football playoff, his thoughts on the Kevin Warren rumors and his ties to potentially be the next president slash CEO of the Bears, and just the shakeups that are going to be ongoing in the college football playoff and the Big Ten as a whole over the next couple of years. Emory Hunt, top of the 2 o'clock hour, more college football, uh, mix of some NFL stuff in there as well, I assume. And then Aaron Neesmith of your Indiana Pacers is going to join us bottom of the 2 o'clock hour. Brendan King and Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos. A little look at what we'd like to see on Sunday from your Colts when we come back on the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
telling you, you're running out of time to get your tickets to Envy Nightclub. <laughs> Eddie Garrison. <laughs> tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Second the song started playing. He is playing. with you till 3 a.m. with all the hits. Second the song started playing, I knew you were coming back with tickets for Eddie Garrison rocking New Year's Eve. I well, that's it. what you missed with Hagen yesterday. You, you missed me yesterday. He, there, there, were, there were compliments to Eddie's playlist yesterday, but there was no tickets that's for all, rocking New Year's Eve. That's all Hagen dishes out, man. Compliments only. I hope he complimented you. Indeed, you survived. <laughs> I survived without you. I did. Yeah, right. Well, you survived. I was, I was sweating I mean, the whole day. No, yeah. no. Uh, we we had, we had a have, lot of did fun. Did you have fun? A lot of fun with Chris yesterday. Got to throw out some New Year's resolutions. I I, I might have falsely claimed that. Uh, uh, I, no, I'm, that's not true. I'm going to try to be better. But we talked about. Uh, he talked about how you need to I've got signal the, first before got you them. turn. Oh, you have an art you, you queued what? up? No, 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 no. I, I wrote them okay, down. Okay, I was going to say. All right. Well, let's still. All right. Go, go ahead. I won't, I won't butcher the paraphrase. Wait. These are Hagen's he New Year's two. resolutions. He, he gave two, two New Year's resolutions. Okay. Uh, the first one was to use your turn signal correctly. So you do not break, turn signal, turn, turn signal, break, turn. He's correct. Correct. That, that is correct. Yep. And the second one was if you're in the grocery store and you're at a specific grocery and it says five items or less, don't be the person that goes into line with 10 to 15 items when it says five items or less because they have done research, the analytics, they say that five items or less, they improve the speed of people going in and out of the quick checkout. And then okay. I said I was going to try to get less mad when people cut me off or do crazy things oh, on the road. Have you ever been on the phone with him when he drives? It's a fun time. It a is fun a, time. It's do a we, whole new person. Do we need a bleep button? Multiple. We, would need, we, need, we need a couple. Bob we would, whale sound, yes, you know, indeed. the dolphin. Indeed. Yes, that's great. Great callback. Good job. Yes. Crabs so. is uh Do you <laughs> Do you have one? Well, hold on. I'm, I'm thinking. Eddie, did you have one? See, that's no. that was my problem. And I panicked. I was like, what's something I yeah, do? All right. You know what? I'm, I'm also going to go in the car and say my new year's resolution for people should be when there's a sign that says lane ends in half mile on yeah, highway yeah you don't have to merge right away it feeds into the other lane yep. it and, tells you when it ends and you- don't be the guy that don't be the guy that sees the stop happening though and then floors all the way to get the front of the line yeah like there's a happy medium uh also, New Year's resolution for people at a sporting event, and this is a personal gripe, by the way, because my Butler season tickets are in the first row of the second deck. Nice. So, nice y- flex. Y- <laughs> not actually, it's not really a flex. Um, I mean, the flex would be that I was the president of the student section, and you dropped you've dropped that in the last two weeks. Yeah, though, for too. sure, for sure. <laughs> but uh, so that's where our season tickets are. Don't be the guy at any sporting event that stops in the middle of going down to your seats in the first oh, deck to chat with somebody to, or, no not to chat just stop and either watch the game or look at your phone yeah Th- that yeah, has that. to stop in 2023 i, I get that immediately I, I get that I, I would upgrade it further and say have a presence of mind regardless of what you're doing that there's only such a narrow pathway across most arenas to get to and from seats especially in Hinkle Fieldhouse there there's only yeah. two ways to get yeah. down yep. to the to the first deck by the way Butler got pounded last they night they did i wasn't going to bring it oh. up because the i got a I text mean, from one of my relatives cuz I, I had a run college boys basketball game last night so i did not get to watch get, all of that who they play uh they matched up against Floyd Central and, okay. and? They, they they were they were injury ridden going in was run so college did not go well did not go well I'm sorry. Not go well. I'm sorry, right. Jimmy. It's okay. That's okay. It did Don't not go well. Don't beat around the bush here. They, they, they were shorthanded. They were they were absolutely shorthanded. Shout out to the Royals. As but much anyway. as the Colts coaching staff? 
。好好好好好好。啊，好好好好好。Was that a low blow? I didn't get a chance to look at all the Butler game, but I got a text that said. Was happening with the dogs, and sometimes that's a good text, sometimes it's a bad text, and then it was forty-five to sixteen or whatever it was at half, and I was like, "Oh man, not a good text." I was driving back last night, and uh, I, st- I stopped by Hinkle to go see our boy Matt Schumacher. He was calling the game on FS1, and uh, you know, I'm like, "All right, let me let me dial up Minner and, Gar- and Gardner here, and, and see how it's see how it's going." And then the first thing out <laughs> the first thing out of Minner's mouth. When I turn on the radio, was it's a twenty-eight point lead for Providence? I said, "That's all I need to know." Yep. So that did not go Look, well. Let, let's be clear on one thing, okay? And this is just it, as Butler continues to try to figure itself out with players coming back from it's injury. Gonna it's going to take time, but Ed Cooley's crew so are just beasts. So uh, just every night out. Now, a performance like that, not what you're looking for, but I mean I, that that man is as drawn more fits for Butler fans since they've joined the Big East than, than maybe anybody and maybe anybody. I was going to say Jay Wright, but Butler's gotten their number a Dude, number of Holt, times. Holtman had trouble with Ed Cooley. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's a so, great coach. I, Ed Cooley has had a hell of a run at Providence yeah. and for some reason he's pretty cool, yeah. He's a cool dude. Nice. I mean, they, I mean, nice. they, they cut Butler. This guy so, yeah. over here. Well done. This well guy, done. Double yeah. time. Good for you. Uh, he's, just, he's just getting ready for his like between song jokes. Yeah, he's got to fill in. Oh, you know, he's got to fill some time. <laughs> but uh, I, I t- yeah, that comment, t- I totally forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I, I know now. That for some reason, still in March, Providence always ends up as like an eight seed. Yes. Just because of how the Big East is. Yes. And nobody ever picks them in the eight nine game. Yeah, I'll, I'll, do you ever I'll, notice I'll, that? Like you're you're, you're in your yes. buddy's March Madness thing, and they always pick the nine over Providence. Yep. yep. And then Providence bites them in the ass. Almost then, always, yes. And, and then that the, you always that's a rule in the you always pick Providence yep. in the NCAA tournament. And it's just larger scale. And again, this is we understand that it's December thirtieth, and we still have a far amount of time left in the road to March Madness and the road to Selection Sunday, but. I look, I've stressed this a couple times. I understand it's confusing. Yeah, I wear the reversible jacket. That's fine. I like representing my state. Sue me. Own it. I own it. I wear the badges. This is what it is. Uh, my great grandfather wants Notre Dame. Notre Dame football fan. I was raised Catholic. That that just happens. All right. Uh, my dad had season tickets at Butler. He's an alum there. Love the Bulldogs. And I went to Indiana. And I love IU. Okay. It just, it is what it is. And Matt Painter, I. Don't it's hard to find another coach that you could respect more than Matt Painter and his crew at Purdue. There's just there's so much good basketball. Uh, Michael Lewis at Ball State. I want as many coaches in the state of Indiana as possible in the Big Dance because it's more fun across the board. And so you look at at this entire pathway for Indiana, for Purdue, for Butler, for Michael Lewis navigating things in general at Ball State, and you just think to yourself. Where and how many teams we're going to have in March outside of your own fanhoods, right? You want Butler there. I want Indiana there. Eddie, I don't know who your favorite Division One college basketball team is. Mike Bray as well. I don't want to disrespect the Irish that in general, but I don't know who your D1 Indiana team is if you have one. Who, who? Okay, so yeah. So we all, we all want that, but at the same time, it's more exciting for me when I have, not just as a job, but it's more exciting for me when I have different pathways to storylines across the state and it's just more fun to be like oh yeah i know that group yeah especially after it was not so okay the ncaa tournament here in 2021 was awesome but there was one team from indiana that participated it was purdue 
That was that was the downside of it. There was one yeah. team that had even the potential. Could you imagine if, if Butler, IU, Purdue, I guess throw Notre Dame in there too, but they didn't host it per se, regardless. If an Indiana team had a chance to play in their own they building. It would have been rocket In their own building. Yes. In the NCAA, that's unheard of. So, I mean, as crazy as that tournament was, I mean, help. Patino was in the tournament when Coach K and Calipari were not. I, I I think that was the the biggest factor of that tournament that I'll always remember, right? But when Indiana teams are doing well, simply it's just a lot more fun. And that's why you want to see this Butler team reach the consistent heights in the Big East. And I think they will get there under Thad Mott. I'm not worried about that. But we talked with Mark Minner yesterday, and he recognizes it, much like the coaching staff does, that man, it would have been nice to get that Providence game. And now that that's a loss and, and you're, you've yet to have a conference win out of the gate through conference play, now you turn the calendar into January. And if you open up January, I know they're on the road at Georgetown. I can't remember all the matchups off the top of my head right now. But when you look at that first three or four game stretch, tough. if that's a one in three slide, you're uphill the rest of the year in a conference that just doesn't allow it to happen. So I do support your reversible jacket. But I will say I have one last New Year's resolution before we go to break. Oh, is this going to be at? What? Is this going to be a shot at me? No, 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 no. Okay. When I go home, if anybody ever tells me that they are both a Cubs and White Sox fan oh, no, ever that's, again, that's not, I'm going that's not. to lose no, 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 my no, no, mind. No, there no, are no. way too many of those people. No, no. you you cannot be you cannot no. be a Yankees and a Mets fan. You can't be an IU and Purdue fan. There's a line there, like mm. that, like like I, I, unless you Mm-mm. went to IUPUI. But I, but the, 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 outside of that, you can't do it. You can't, well, there are certain IUPUI, rivalries Jimmy? you can't cross. IUPUI. That's not IUPUI anymore. My bad. I'm sorry. I apologize to all of. Did them. they actually change the name? Yeah, that's that, that's my story. Different day. That's my that's my bad. What's the name now? Tell you during the break. That's not cool. You leave the audience hanging. Now we're on this cliffhanger. Uh, Pat Forty joins us next. (laughs) Emery Hunt from CBS Sports at 2. Aaron Neesmith from the Indiana Pacers at 2.30. BK, Jay Cook, Eddie Garrison around the horn. We'll be back. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hindsight, even though I don't pub it this way as much, we should have had the Jimmy Kimmel, this New Year's Eve will be the college football playoff song when they, when they used old Lang Syne and they turned it into a full advertisement. But I'll take the weekend as well because in general... A massive weekend in the sports world, particularly the college sports world. And one of our favorites, the great Pat Forty of Sports Illustrated, one of the best in the business at covering college athletics. Nice enough to take some time with us here with our last show of the new year. Pat, thanks again, as always, for making time for us. Always appreciate you coming on the show. And as we jump right into things, uh, I wanted to start with... Something that's on the mind of a lot of Colts fans, they're potentially going to be in the lottery to draft a quarterback, and with who could be there, C.J. Stroud's going to be on that list, but his next and only test before he gets to the NFL against an NFL-level defense is these Georgia Bulldogs. You, you, you like Georgia in terms of your predictions on the article on SI.com with your crew. Is this as heavily favored towards Georgia's side of the ledger as you see it on paper? You know, I, I think so. The, the spread's not huge. It's like six and a half. Um, and, I, you know, it's not like Ohio State doesn't have the talent to play with them. I just think that they've got some weaknesses at the line of scrimmage 
where Georgia has extreme strengths. You know, I mean, Georgia's defensive line and offensive line are phenomenal. And I think inside of the tackles, Ohio State's pretty ordinary on offense. And defensively, you know, we saw what happened when they played uh, Michigan. They got they got trampled. And, you know, I think Georgia's a kind of a bigger, meaner version of Michigan. So I, I think if – unless – Stroud plays phenomenally, and Marvin Harrison goes nuts, and uh, Georgia turns the ball over. I think Georgia should win and probably win relatively easily. Hey, Pat, it's Brendan. Just to go off of what you said, that six-and-a-half-point spread, are you surprised it's not more? I am. I mean, I thought it would be over a touchdown. So, you know, it's nestled just on the other side of that. Uh, You know, again, I and Zildemir may be a little bit of – prisoner of the moment but I was at that Ohio State Michigan game and that Ohio State team did not look capable of standing toe to toe with a heavyweight and and winning a punch out so you know I'm I'm just skeptical there and I quite frankly I just haven't thought this Ohio State team was quite ever as good as they were supposed to be all year you know they they were good and they had some games they looked really good but Several other games, I thought they were just kind of fairly ordinary and a little bit underwhelming. Pat, I know that the draft analyst isn't isn't the top billing on on your job description, but as you're observing the pathway through these quarterbacks, and we'll focus on Stroud for a second, since he is in terms of at least top of those mock boards, uh, the the main one on on center stage this weekend. Where has been your evaluation of Stroud within Ohio State's offense and? Based on that perception, what, if anything, would surprise you or, or would maybe raise your value of him against this Bulldogs defense? Yeah, I think uh, I want to see him play well under real duress. And sometimes he has. Um, but, you know, I want to see him hit throws when there are people in his face. Uh, and he's just a, he's a very reluctant runner. He, he can move, but he doesn't like to run. And I think he can run. I'd like to see him do a little bit more of that. We'll see if, if they utilize that part of his game at all or not. But, you know, he can make th- all the throws, I'm pretty sure. You know, he's got very good arm. He's got good accuracy. Um, but when the going gets tough, how does he handle it? That's, that's what I want to see. And I, I do expect the going to get pretty tough. Pat, I think everybody realizes that all three of the next guys I'm about to mention are great quarterbacks, and Bryce Young, Will Levis, and C.J. Stroud. But these bowl games, and I realize Stroud is playing a bit more of an important one than Levis and Young when it comes to winning a national championship, but as they continue to get to know their draft positions, other teams, that is, how much do these bowl games how much of these bowl games will have an effect? of determining where these guys go in your mind? Uh, good question. You know, I mean, I think with Stroud, for sure, because people are going to say that's a, basically a pro-level defense he's going to be going against. So there will be interest there. Uh, you know, Bryce Young, I think, personally, I think helps himself by playing in the bowl. Uh, he's just a, he's a gamer. I mean, of the three, I like him the best. He He's the smallest, but he just – is a very, very determined uh, player. He's a very good athlete. Um, you know, he he's a winner. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't think he's going to hurt his stock of anything. He's going to help it, like I said, for playing. Lewis is not going to play. 
which is probably hard on his point part because, you know, Bucky's a bit of a wreck, and he could probably only hurt himself. I'm not a huge Will Levis fan as an NFL quarterback. Um, you know, he's big and has a great arm. I just I, I haven't seen enough that says that guy's going to be a next-level star in terms of basically just about everything that goes with the job. So, I, to me, he's the one I, I kind of scratch my head about where he's rated. Pat, I want to get back to the college football playoff in a second, but but I know that you've been recapping as well some of your, your favorite college football, uh, not just playoff games, just bowl games in general on SI.com, and I want to get to that as well. But when you look at this year's slate for these New Year's Six Bowls, is it the Sugar Bowl that has you most enticed just because Bryce Young is going to play, or is there another bowl game that's outside of the playoff that, that, that you're very excited to see the matchup, not just on paper, but actually how it plays out? Yeah, I mean, I am super curious to see what Alabama looks like because in years past when they haven't made the playoff, they've tended to lay an egg in their bowl game, uh, so... Are they going to bring it or not? I mean, I think it's it's significant that both Bryce Young and Will Anderson are playing. So, you know, theoretically, they're going to show up and, and want to do well. Uh, beyond that, I I mean, I'm I'm interested in uh, the Orange Bowl, Tennessee and Clemson. You know, like Clemson, we're going to get to see Cade Klubnick uh, as the guy at quarterback, and you know, what's that going to look like? And figuring he's going to be obviously the guy next year, and maybe for another year after that. And, and so, you know, how how good does he look? Uh, and then, you know, the the, uh, the Rose Bowl will be interesting, too. You know, Utah's a really good team, really tough. And what does Penn State bring to the table against them? Pat Forty, nice enough to take some time for us via the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline and themotorshop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power tools, equipment, so much more. They'll be covered over at the Motor Shop and themotorshop.com. Pat, going to the college football playoff, that that has become in some ways, I don't know if it, it, it turned into the machine that the college football playoff committee wanted it to be in terms of it when it falls on new year's eve of is it always appointment television the games definitely haven't always lived up to it it's always been the championship game that has been the piece de resistance of all that if you will but when you look at this college football playoff lineup this year why should it be either appointment tv or why should it be something that's at least on in the background at at new year's parties or, or at sports bars across the country yeah, I mean, the whole New Year's Eve idea was dumb to begin with from the playoff <laughs> people. You know, that was that was, that was was arrogant, frankly, and out of touch. Yep. So, you know, I remember standing there when they announced the playoff and said, we're going to change what New Year's Eve is about in America. It's like, no, you're not. Everybody's still going to want to party, and maybe they'll watch football. So that was stupid. Uh, you know, I, I think people will watch in good numbers this year because you've got some big, big brand names involved. And then you also have TCU. But, I mean, Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, those are big brand names with big followings. And so I expect them to to have good ratings for sure for this. Uh, and then hopefully we have good games. Pat, talking TCU, Michigan, Michigan's uh, weapon core, A.J. Henning actually went to my high school, so I've known a lot about him and his family for a number of years, know his siblings. But when it comes to a TCU standpoint, what chance do you give them to hang around in this game? Well, I mean, they're, they're a really good offense. Um, and if they keep Max Duggan upright, I think they've got a chance to score some points. You know, he's, he's a very good quarterback. He's mobile. Um, he throws a good deep ball. 
They've got a big-time receiver. Quentin Johnston is 6'4", um, and can just, you know, go over the top of defensive backs. Uh, got a really good running back in Kendra Miller. So they've got some weapons. I think the problem is their defense. I just don't know how well they're going to be able to stop Michigan. So, you know, if Michigan just gets the ground game going and just steamrolls them and eats the clock, that could get a little bit ugly and, and it certainly could get a little bit boring. But uh, we'll see what TCU can can do in terms of, of hitting some big plays and maybe using some trickery to stay around. Pat, the other crazy story of the last 24 to 48 hours, at least in terms of college football, had nothing to do with the action on the field and impacts you know a lot of our listeners and a lot of people around this part of the country. But with Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren being reported by a number of different outlets yesterday that he was a leading candidate to be the president and CEO of the Chicago Bears. I guess your first reaction to that, and then the what looks like it could have just been grabbed from a, a Wikipedia page length of statement uh, by the Big Ten to counter that that you tweeted out yesterday. Yeah, it was a weird statement, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. was very, it felt like I was taking a college-level course going over that statement, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting, it's strange, it's... Um, you know, awkward timing with two teams in the playoff and your commissioners maybe looking to bail for a NFL job. Kevin Warren has an NFL background, so <clears throat> his interest in that league obviously doesn't surprise me. Uh, Chicago is looking to build a new stadium. He helped get the new stadium built in Minnesota, so that's kind of in his wheelhouse as well. I think there's plenty of people out there who think that, you know, Kevin Warren's ultimate goal is to be the commissioner of the NFL. That's probably easier done from within the NFL than from college athletics. But, uh, you know, it's it's strange. He's had a strange tenure. There's been a lot of, you know, weird things that happened. He really kind of rehabbed his image uh, when they got the media rights deal done and the expansion done. Uh, and so I think people think of him much more positively now than they did uh, for the first year and a half of his tenure. But, you know, I don't think anybody in the Big Ten would be like, oh, no, what do we do if Warren leaves? Pat, Notre Dame and South Carolina here this afternoon at 3.30. I'm in South Bend in the summers. My dad's a Notre Dame alum. I know Jimmy, he's the one wearing a Notre Dame jersey in the studio today. So we both have a love the Irish for sure. I know it's been rumored, of course not official, Sam Hartman has been linked to Notre Dame, the Wake Forest transfer. If he ends up at ND, what are your thoughts there? I think it'd be big. He's a really good college quarterback. Um, you know, I I think he's uh, he would be a great pickup and exactly the kind of uh, portal move that Notre Dame probably should have made last year instead of sticking with the quarterback lineup that they had. So, uh, you know, I think that's that, that would be amongst the several Marcus Freeman recruiting successes, that would might maybe be the biggest one he's had so far which would be to get uh, – there, So uh, I anticipate that really helps the Notre Dame offense next year. Pat, last thing on my end, and kind of a two-part question. I understand they're in different areas, but they both have different impacts. One, obviously the, the missile's already in the air, but how does Kevin Warren's potential departure impact the Big Ten's navigation of, of adding uh, USC and UCLA? And then two, what are your overall thoughts on how college athletics or college football in general is transformed, if at all, with the college football playoff expanding here in two years? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think it affects their uh, their the the transition of those schools into the league really much at all. You know that the work was done getting getting the paperwork signed and what you know to to make the deal happen. Uh, whoever's the commissioner, they should be able to handle the scheduling issues, which will be significant um, for you know getting them in, not making this a complete mockery in terms of cross country travel. Um, and then the expanded playoff, I think it's going to be phenomenal. You know, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's just going to be fantastic across the board. Good for like everyone just about. And, uh, you know, I, I'm glad they fast tracked it for 2024. we got one more year of four next year. Uh, and then we're going to see a much better sport, I think. Pat, thank you so much for taking time for us. I know it's a, it's a busy week and a busy next couple of days. You get ready for the college football playoff and the New Year's Six Bowls, but always appreciate your work and always appreciate your time. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Good to be on with you. Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New Year, Year to Pat. you, too. That is Pat Forty, senior writer for Sports Illustrated, laying the foundation down for what is going to be a electric New Year's. I, I do agree with them, right? You're not going to, the idea for the NCAA, or not the NCAA, but the College Football Playoff Committee to look at it and be like, hey, no one cares about that big glass cylinder ball in New York. We got we got our football and we're ready to go out and take a whole new spin on New Year's Eve and take it over. Yeah, I, I, he said that before and I don't disagree with them. It is a level of arrogance, but I think it, it had a better shot at capturing sports fans' eyes than it did the entire world is what they want it to be, or, or all of the country, right? Because people are still going to go to parties. They're still going to go see Eddie Garrison, DJ, right? They're, they're, they're going to have all kinds of different plans already established. So it is funny to bring that back up because that was the whole thing, BK. That whole marketing plan was going to be on New Year's Eve. It's going to be great, and people are going to want to be a part of this and didn't get the reaction they hoped it would. Yeah, that's like <laughs> at the national championship last year, they brought – the largest platter of shrimp you could ever imagine from St. Elmo's, and they put two huge bowls of shrimp sauce. I think they were hoping that all the national people would get a kick out of it and would think it was funny. But the problem was the national people had no idea what St. Elmo's shrimp sauce and shrimp cocktail was. It always will get you. Always. But like, I, I think they were hoping... like. Uh, Everybody would know the story, be like, oh, that's funny. I'm going to put this on social media and stuff. But when in reality, Kevin Bowen and myself were sitting around a bunch of Alabama and Georgia bloggers, and they had no clue. So we're in line to get food, and these bloggers are putting four shrimp on their plate and then gollops of sauce. Tough. A guy sat down behind me, I swear to God. And I turned around like this just to see him dip an entire shrimp in sauce. It's a bold it move. It was dripping. It's a bold move. Puts it in his mouth. My guy runs, not walks, runns to the bathroom. Yep. Had no idea. That is a it's a tough wake up call if you're not prepared for <laughs> Unbelievable. it. Unbelievable. But if you if you like it, again, that's not to say like if I was if we had someone here, like I'd, I'd, I'd probably get kind of how big of the have a cough on me. For sure, but but it's still delicious, and I still love it, which is why I keep going back for it. In fact, to a point that I just love the the, the sauce in general, even though it has all the spices, all the kick with it. I'll use the saltines, baby. Get a little extra bit of you that. You need the saltines. Got to use the saltines. I, I brought my parents to uh, Harry and Izzy's about a month ago. Sure. It was their first ever time, 
And my dad's one of those dads, like, you know, super, super power dad. Yep. Uh, and I was like, hey, dad, just so you know, you don't need all that sauce. He goes, whatever. It, mm-hmm. Like in that same tone, I was like, mm-hmm. you do you, my man. So I watched my dad. He I goes, dad, do you want a cracker? He goes, no, nah, I'm just going to eat it straight up. I was like, you do you. He grabs a big shrimp sauce, puts it in his mouth. And he's like, I get it now. Yep. Some of my family members are the other way. They would be like, oh, no, you're good. Go ahead. They'd push you in. Yeah, there. yeah I know. Right. Take a big old. Yeah, about it's, it. it's like a fraternity right. hazing right. initiation. Yep. When you say, yeah, you know, just just grab a big pile and you'll be good to go. I, I do think it was interesting what, what Pat was saying about Sam Hartman, because that's a move where I don't know how many years of eligibility he has left specifically. But let's say it's more than a couple. I don't think it's more than a couple. Is it one? That's it? Yep. Okay. Well, that's a little disappointing because the college football playoff 12 team doesn't take over for a couple years. I think that'd be, as he said, that's a great move for Notre Dame, but it'd be perfect if you can carry Sam Hartman. Maybe you could think about just applying for another waiver from the NCAA because they give those out like... like <laughs> Candy. Yeah, like candy. Seriously. Um, but I would also argue, and we had, we talked about this with Tom Noy a little bit, and I think you'd agree with this, there is going to be some type of decision made and I'm not going to try to simulate two years down the road, but in theory, after next season, Notre Dame is going to have on roster Kenny Minchie and then C.J. Carr coming Carr, in. Yeah. So, so you're going to have, and, and Tom stressed that as well, today's college football, it is what it is, but not both those guys are going to still be there over that tenure because you're going to transfer at some point whenever... You better hope they make the right decision with yes, that, though. Yes, Because yes. if they don't, you get yourself in the position that you have been since Ian right, Book left and right. you're playing that quarterback shuffle. What I will say, I, I don't know if Notre Dame competes for a college football playoff next year, but if this Hartman kid can gun it downfield and they address specifically their wide receiver position, because, Jimmy, that's been a weakness now for a number of years. Because, look, Notre Dame in the backfield, Tyree, Diggs, and Estime are all coming back. That arguably yep. is the best backfield in the country. Yes. Depending on what happens in the transfer portal. Notre Dame might have the best if not top three in the country, sure. running back-wise. So if you address your wide receiver room and you're able, because Notre Dame's always produced good tight ends, if you're able to get a guy that can replace Michael Mayer, not to exactly what he did, because I think that's impossible, right. but if you get a couple guys that can add up to what Michael Mayer did, Notre Dame can be really dangerous And year. And to your point, when you look at Sam Hartman coming in, the thing that I keep thinking of, and I, I didn't think about it in this context and again, that's not official yet, but assuming he does like he is expected to join Notre Dame, the Irish open up next season, if I'm not mistaken, with Ohio State at Notre Dame. And Ryan Day's group does not miss very often. So the idea of having not just a, a proven, as in terms of like leadership and upperclassmen, having a six-year grad transfer that is able to sling the football around the yard I don't hate that type of experience and that confidence at the most important position when, since there's no playoff expansion, you're not fully behind the eight ball, but it, man, that'd be nice to start one to know. I love it even more if he comes in because of the aforementioned backfield. What has Notre Dame been missing with Buckner and Pine? Arm strength. Yep. But the backfield's been great, but would you like to take advantage of that backfield with a play action? that can just kill right. defensive backfields. If Hartman identifies next year that he's still got it and he could play at the level of a Notre Dame against the schedule that they play, and if the running backs all work, and look, they'll probably have a fourth and fifth guy, 
because of the recruiting class they're bringing in. So, you know, there's a chance you have four pretty darn good running backs that you can put in at any particular time. If that play action is good, I don't want to be defensive no. backfields against Notre Dame. Do you? No, not at all. It's, it's going to be very fascinating to see how that all shapes up by the time we get to September, of course. Notre Dame against South Carolina in the Gator Bowl today. So you'll obviously track that for as much as you will. But again, the bowl games, it's so many people not playing and playing. It's hard to track that unless it's a meaningful game, which, of course, is this weekend in the college football playoff. And as we talked to Pat there, C.J. Stroud, his last true test, how much that actually moves the needle. BK, uh, I can't remember who I was talking to, but somebody was like, yeah, you know, Stroud's probably going to be our guy. Because you're still in the Bryce Young bandwagon. Always. If for some reason, C.J. Stroud straight up balls out, they beat Georgia, they win a national title, Houston's going to have to think about something. Yeah. And maybe, because you never know with an organization like Houston what their M.O. is, maybe it is Young that's there for the taking for the Colts, assuming a team doesn't straight up instead of C.J. Stroud. Well, maybe it helps, too, that Levis isn't playing for Kentucky. Because what if it's the opposite, and he stinks, and he just kills any draft capital that he was building up due to his physical traits? So maybe it's better that Levis is not playing. In a perfect world, Jimmy, Levis doesn't play. There's the mystery of the unknown of, like, what can this guy be? It's opening Pandora's box. Good or bad, you don't know until you try. Stroud balls out, like you said. There's maybe a sure thing, and maybe it's not a bad thing if Bryce Young throws a couple interceptions against Kansas State. In a perfect world, if you're in the Bryce Young camp, that there could be no better situation than C.J. Stroud going out and beating Georgia and Bryce Young maybe struggling a tad against Kansas State, which I know may be a bit unrealistic when it comes to what Alabama does. But hey, man, you got to believe. Which, again, that's why... That matchup in particular is so fascinating to me. And not that I won't be following Michigan and TCU as well, but particular with Georgia and Ohio State, I mean, that that's a matchup where across the board, there's going to be depth pieces along particularly the defensive side of the ball for Georgia's case. There's going to be a number of different draft prospects along both sides of the ball with Michigan, all four of these teams, not to undercut anybody, but that's why if you're a Colts fan and you're done with this season, which you know I think most people are outside of, you know, still supporting the team, all that fun stuff. This college football playoff is your last little dip into what could be until we get the college football final set up next, not this Monday, but the following Monday. Don't want to change the subject, but it is official per Jeff Saturday. No Ashton Doolin. Thanks, Derwin James. No Kenny Moore. No Kylan Granson in the Big Apple this weekend. So Moore and Granson will miss another game. Doolin got knocked out by Derwin James, which I will say, Doolin got right up. Credit the guy. I mean, the guy clearly had his brain knocked into, but he got right up, went to the medical tent. That's toughness. Indeed. And when you look at those injury reports again, it's not at this point. At this point, my next move is to look at if the line gets moved at all. Again? When, when those injury reports get finalized, right? Yeah. Because to your credit, and I know you were also talking about the college football playoff, but that's a, most models have this as a 
six, seven-point game. They don't have it as the Colts getting rolled, and that's in part because of the the mystery of the Giants as an offense of how does Daniel Jones do against a, one of the better defenses in the league, and how does Saquon Barkley do against a, a Colts team that, again, I, I feel like some of those numbers were inflated early on because they didn't really face the best of the best in terms of running backs. They did okay against Dalvin Cook, and they did okay against Minnesota, but but if, it, if you're just okay again against Saquon, He'll chew you up the same way Dalvin did at times. I'm not just saying like a screen pass that takes you all the way to the house, but it's fascinating to me how Danny Dimes navigates through this Colts defense just from a matchup standpoint. The game doesn't matter, but what does they look like on paper? How much fight is there? Is there quit on this team? What are they playing for? They're playing for jobs. And is that pride going to show itself? That's all you're looking for on Sunday. We're going to take a break. We come back. We'll go over some of our sports New Year's resolutions, not just for fans, but just things we would like to see different in 2023 across the sports landscape of the state of Indiana. If you have one that you would like to see change, whether that is a decision for the Colts via the draft, something you want to see with the Pacers, something in the realm of college basketball or football, give us a call 317-239-1070. Back in a moment with those resolutions on the fan. Welcome back. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. A fan midday show. I've debated if I want to throw a live grenade at BK because there was a debate of who should go first on these resolutions. So I No, gonna, I said you could bring us back. No, I know, I know, but 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 the, 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 let me get to the punchline of all this because your reaction and if you're on the YouTube feed you're going to want to look at BK to see how he reacts to this cuz I know it's going to upset him and I'm I'm being a troll with this. My first New Year's resolution BK it's time for an automated strike zone in the MLB. Your thoughts? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> No. God, no. You need the liner. No. Oh. Wah, wah. No. Do you want to respond or you want to just move on? There's not enough curse Jimmy. words I don't think that Brendan and I can you, say. Jimmy, no. Jimmy. It's not really my New Year's resolution. Jimmy, I I'm just being a troll. You people in the Bronx. You people. Have no idea what you have. Sometimes. Is that is that it? Is that all we're wrong? That's okay. It. That's it. Okay. No. All right. Uh, first it, legit. Not, first legit. But but you you don't like that at all, and I know you don't. That's why I Absolutely threw the grenade not. in there. Um, that was a live grenade. Honestly, <laughs> Make it, can we promo not, that? I mean, not even can, just a BK. My goodness. Can we promo? <laughs> I, I, is I, that our first promo? Maybe it is. Got to get a call. We've never had a promo before. Have we been doing this show long enough to get promos? Got to call upstairs. I don't know. Uh, First legit. Uh, Hello. (laughs) First legit New Year's resolution. (laughs) The line's disconnected anyway, let's be honest. Oh, mine. Um, My... Okay, I'll stick in baseball. I think the Carlos Correa thing should end all these dumb 14-year, $300 million contracts. They're the stupidest thing Imagine giving a 14-year contract to somebody that's 29 years old. The idea of 
throwing that length of time around or they should be barred from even happening. Baseball contracts are broken. Well, yeah, I mean, brother, you're t- I'm not arguing nobody with you on that. deserves a four. Unless your name is Mike Trout and you're going to end your career as the greatest. Oh, hey, Otani. No, I it, th- that guy is I, I don't trust that. That guy is untrustworthy with <laughs> with his history. He, that guy could snap his arm any day and be done. Sure. And he Still almost he actually almost did. Sure. He almost did. Unless your name is Mike Trout, you don't deserve it. Dude, still rigs. Uh, the, oh, okay. But I don't want to I don't want to get in an argument. So just about to Otani. clarify. No, the not I think Otani, the Korean, ban the contracts the, of no, that length. No, no, I just hope dude, it's so stupid. Or let's stupid. move away from it. Let, let's move away. It's okay. so stupid. Okay. And and the Korea thing should like I like we said to start the show. Typically what sports teams do is they follow something that works previously. Right. I don't think anybody wants to deal with that Korea crap. Because Korea is still not on a team, uh, technically. Yeah, and, and, it, and, it's, and it's two physicals that have. You're, you're like, you want to give a 14 year contract to that guy? Get out of here! That MLB contracts are broken. They need to figure that out. Go. I'm gonna head to the phone lines and bring in okay some listeners as well. Okay, you don't have one. I do have one, but I want to pause for a second because it is Colts centric, and I saw that we had Colts. Listener on the line. I don't want to potentially steal thunder, so we'll go to Jonathan. Welcome to the fan. Happy New Year to you. Uh, is this a resolution or is this just a, a gripe with the Colts? Either one is fine. Just trying to clarify it. Thanks for calling in. Oh well, thank you for your time and uh, Happy New Year to you too. Uh, to me, it's kind of a hybrid of the two because I wanted to say that if the Colts don't land who they really want to land in the first round, they should not give up because I see a lot of potential in the second round, even if they have to move up or back for Hendon Hooker and Tanner McKee, because I'm kind of an analytics guy. We need more offense, uh, and hit, Hooker's just hurt. Uh, he could be ready for the beginning of next season, and only two interceptions after the season we've had for the Colts looks like a miracle waiting to happen. Jonathan, um, do you want them trading up or or down in terms of – actually, let me rephrase that. Do you want them to trade up if they feel like their guys there in the first round, assuming they stay I at want- five? Yeah, I, well, I want them to trade up to Chicago, but knowing Chris Ballard, we we might even trade back. I'm afraid he would look at Anthony Richardson and say, hey, in three years, he might be something because he's so raw. But, I mean, no one would want them to do that. I don't think it's wise at all. We, we get a lot of hype about the top three. Uh, Levis seems like a mess. He's not accurate, but he's on a bad team. Um, PFF has Tanner McKee in the first round still, I think, and – that's, I mean, he should he shouldn't have gone to Stanford. That's all there is to it, you know. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of factors that often don't get weighed because of Mel Kiper. Um, you know, like for example, Hooker, he won't be at the combine, will he, with the torn ACL? Even just to have them measure his hands and his height and his weight and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I I don't fully know how that process goes through in terms of how they gather those measurables, but I mean, obviously, he's not going to be involved in. Barring a an insane <laughs> otherworldly recovery, he's not going to be involved in your 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 traditional combine. No. Yeah, well, he's uh, very intelligent. Uh, you can probably tell Hooker's my favorite choice. Sure. Even if it comes to the second round, patience can be the key, even in our situation, um, and that enables them, like Skaronsky, uh, for alignment in the first round. That'd be pretty money as far as value with our problems and uh, Paris Johnson. If we don't go up, you know, jump up, we might end up in. A situation where we have the fifth pick, but three quarterbacks have already been taken. I don't know if that would be likely from what you guys have heard, but 
I'm just afraid Ballard is just never going to trade up from five if that's where we end up. Jonathan, I appreciate the phone call and a happy new year to you. Uh, but I understand there's always going to be paranoia amongst fan bases when there's struggles, but I think there's also legitimate concerns brought up there as well. But to kind of alleviate those concerns, I, barring a number of trade-ups happening, BK, I, I don't envision this being a bang, 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 three quarterbacks off the board with who is currently slated to pick there. You never can forecast trade-ups. Most mock drafts, particularly the good ones, like take Dane Brugler, for instance, and granted, his is an opinion. It's based on on what he's hearing from scouts and what he's hearing around the league. They don't even simulate trade-ups because they're unpredictable. You, you don't know. A lot of people like to keep those cards close to the chest. So in my mind, I don't think that's a reasonable fear. I, I don't think three quarterbacks are going to come off the board barring a trade-up. I think only one that I see coming off, Bryce Young as it stands right now, and then if Seattle wants to take a quarterback there at, where are they, three, right? Uh, then may, Or three or four, where they're at, then maybe you're out of luck there. But so many mocks say defense is where the Seahawks go. So it's fascinating. I'm with Jonathan in that I would rank Hendon Hooker above Anthony Richardson in my quarterback wish list. Yeah. Why am I wrong? Uh, I just don't agree. I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I just don't agree. Step up. <laughs> I am. St- I'm standing up. You're sitting down. I, I am. So you're the one who needs to step of, up. A lot of hijinks no, through this I, segment. It, right? it, it's, I started. It's, it. it's just a pers- It's just personal preference for me in terms of what Hooker can do. Hooker to me, I'm not saying he's going to be this guy, but in terms of like teams willing to take him, he might a drop like a Lamar. Sure. You know, uh, teams were unwilling to take Lamar Jackson because of what he did, and teams would probably be unwilling. Unless it's the perfect situation and they think they can pair him well with that ground game, Hendon Hooker might be the same type of deal. Um, but no, I, I'm I'm with you, Jimmy. I'm with you. I'm, I also hope that Chris Ballard got a nice defensive lineman in his stocking, so he doesn't have to go out in the draft and get one. <laughs> um, I so. totally agree with that. Uh, for mine, as it stands right now, one of my resolutions for sports teams in Indianapolis, and this goes on on the Colts side of things, is. I would like to see another playmaking wide receiver taken early on in this draft. Again, I haven't gone through the entire nuts and bolts of that because we're still a couple months out from April, and that's why we like to have so many experts or people that study this on right now that have been following it all year to give clarity to Colts fans. But if Paris Campbell is gone and you're operating with either a, an option in the slot or another weapon that it could ascend to a true number one status and it's not in free agency and it's not by a trade. You and I are in the same camp. Michael Pittman Jr. is not a number one wide receiver. He's a high level number two. And if you pair him with a dynamic weapon or another dynamic weapon, him, Pierce, and Pittman, I really like your receiving room. So that, that's, that's, I guess, my wish list or a resolution that I would like to see, even though they did take a wide receiver pretty early last year. We'll go back to the phone lines again. Guys, if you want to join the conversation, 317-239-1070. Tim, you're on the Fan Midday Show. Where do you want to see changes in 2023? Yeah, that's uh, – well, two quick questions on one Colts, one Pacers. So, uh, the Colts, I, I actually think we'll end up with Stroud. But I'm hearing Vegas and everybody else talking about, like, Jimmy G and Carr. And I wondered if you guys thought it would be beneficial for no. them to go ahead and retread so that they could draft – No. No, other place. Absolutely not. No. Uh, I, I do appreciate the question, and we joked about it when the car benching occurred, but 
this is no longer a team that is a, a quarterback away from being whether you want to be a Super Bowl contender or a contender in their own division. They, they are a team that has shown, particularly on the offensive end, there's a number of flaws there. And while I really like Jimmy G, you've seen now through a couple of different backup quarterbacks that the establishment in San Francisco is such a high-powered offense, it's going to have varying degrees of success based on the level of talent at QB, but you can put almost anybody back there and they're still going to thrive. So I'm, 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 I'm no one Jimmy G here. I don't think the Colts are, are equipped to where it's a perfect fit. And with Carr, I, had you told me that three years ago, I would have been on board. But now even last there's year. too many holes. Yeah, even probably last even year last I could have been sold on it. Not but, anymore. But no. So now, now I'm turning towards the draft. All right, I'm with you on that, too. I think Stroud will end up here. My other question is, I don't know if I'm just being fanboy, but they almost feel like they can beat anybody, and I'm wondering if you don't need to do anything but tweak this team as the rebuild over, and I'll just hang up and hear what you say. Appreciate that, Tim. I'll let you go first with that because you've you've, you've championed for Buddy earlier this week as, as a piece that maybe you don't want to move on from. Is this team just fine-tuned at this point where they're at? This is similar to what we were saying to start the show, Jimmy. Right. I don't think the rebuild's over because with how the draft is nowadays, look, you got a player like Andrew Nemhard after the first round, right? So you can build your roster well if you draft smartly. What you can't afford is another Goga-type mistake because, Jimmy, I think we're relatively the same. I believe that the Pacers are a trade-slash-free agent away you believe the Pacers are another A-list type lottery pick away. But I would pair that yeah. where if the Pacers go out and get a Donovan Mitchell type player, whether that's whether that's the late Christmas wishes we were going over earlier, right? I said RJ Barrett, Eddie said OG Ananobi. Who'd you say? Why well, I, I gave the Did type you, of player, okay, got which it, was got more it. for the draft yep. or more for the type of player. I just forgot out. if you said a yep. specific I didn't, player. I didn't, I didn't highlight one, no. Okay, so whoever it is. But if you parlay that with picking up a guy like that to scooping up another Nemhard type guy that has success almost right away, then yes, Tim, the rebuild's over in my mind. Yeah, it... If all that pans out that way, and again, I think that we talked about this and we were in agreement earlier in the week, Kevin Pritchard has shown that he has the fortitude to be able to hit draft picks out of the park, or at least through last year's draft, things look great to this point. There's less concerns over a, a, a Goga type uh, selection, as you mentioned. But in general, regardless of if it's a tweak or if it's a, you and I are in the same boat. They're not too far off, but that's something that I, I don't know if that happens at the deadline as much as it's more likely to happen in next year's draft or next offseason. We're going to step aside. We come back. We will recap and close out second hour of the show. Hour number three begins with Emery Hunt stopping by to talk a little college football and college football and the NFL in general as we get set towards the final stretches of the postseason for college football and the final weeks of the regular season for the NFL. You can find his work at CBS Sports, a number of different places as well, owner of the football game plan. And then the bottom of the 2 o'clock hour, the Pacers' own Aaron Neesmith is going to take some time with us. We'll ask him about that dunk, of course, and just ask him how this ride has been so far with this young Pacers team. That and more after this on the Fan Midday Show, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. 
Jimmy Cook and... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Brendan King here on the Fan Midday Show. Early New Year party. New Year's Eve Eve party today on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Dan Duggan joined us earlier via The Athletic covering the New York Giants. Colts Giants get set for Sunday at 1 o'clock. Giants W leads to a playoff spot. Colts W leads to worsening draft position and something for us to analyze next week. Pat Forty, top of this past hour, or top of this hour we're in, I suppose, getting us ready for not just what to look at if you're a Colts fan tracking C.J. Stroud, but also just in general, why these matchups are so tantalizing heading into the new year. So to come, Emery Hunt of CBS Sports and Aaron Neesmith of your Indiana Pacers. BK, we talked a little bit to start the show and a little bit to close there about where the Pacers are at. And I want to shift gears for a second away from the Sirs and head back to the Colts for a minute because... We had a couple New Year's resolution calls. You and I gave some as well. With Chris Ballard getting another, one would think, shot at all this to archetype what the Colts look like and architect what the Colts look like next season and beyond. Where in your mind is the clear answer at quarterback if there is one should your fears come to realization which is that somebody trades up and now you're having to I mean, their scouting department's going to be prepared, so we're, we would be throwing a dart, but you'd think they would have a third option in mind, right? Well, I'm fully prepared for Sam Ellinger to have to change his number, and <laughs> new number four is coming in town. I don't know. It's, I would have been down with Derek Carr this offseason, this past offseason. Yeah, he was, he was in the rumor mill. I was cool with it. I would have been... I, I mean, I, I've always liked Carr. I've always felt bad for him because, you know, the best season that he ever had, and then late in that season, he, he fractures his leg, and he comes back from it, and, and he still played at high-level heights. Indeed, it was against the Colts uh, around this time of year, if I'm not mistaken. And so now... Christmas. It was. And so now you fast-forward his career after that, and, and it's just, it is. The West is, is a behemoth, and unfortunately, when you look at everybody on their worst day... If Russell Wilson wasn't there, he'd be the bottom of the pack, which just talks about how good the AFC West is. So you look at Carr, and yeah, I think he's still got good football ahead of him. But I want somebody that has the ability to make up for the hiccups that occur sometimes with this O-line. And Carr still is not that. He's not quite a statue like Matt Ryan. He has a little bit more mobility, but he's still not that. He does get the ball out quicker. He does. And that's maybe why Rivers ended up being the best QB of the Reich era after Luck. Sure. Because of how quickly he got rid of the football. And clearly, Phil, out of all of those that have been here over the years, he was the oldest and the slowest. But he got the ball out the quickest, so he's more efficient. And Carr, the way he gets the ball out, and at a higher velocity, right, at a longer distance, and probably at a better pace... Maybe this year would have been different. Maybe. Hard maybe. Because if the offensive line still fouls Carr, 
and all the weapons around him are getting hurt. I mean, how much of the Raiders' good moments this year have been because of Josh Jacobs? A lot. So JT gets hurt. What would Carr be with a Zach Moss and a Deion Jackson? I don't know at this rate. But would Carr have had a better shot to win those early games? Does he win the Houston game that ends in a tie? Does he trample the Broncos in their first primetime game so you don't have to play the 9-6 to crap? Or whatever the final... <laughs> what was the 12-9? Was it 12-9? Right. I think it was yeah, 12-9. Yeah, yep. Regardless, he probably gives you a better chance to win those early season games and probably competes better against Tennessee giving you the opportunity at the division because in a lot of those games, Jimmy, the Colts had no shot offensively and then you could only put so much of that pressure on your defense. Now, I'm not giving the defense a pass whatsoever because they've had their brutal moments and on Gus Bradley's defense now, they will forever have the largest comeback in NFL history against them. Is that fair? I don't know. But, Carr, in the end, gives you a better shot to win those early season games. And I understand Matt Ryan had the shoulder problem. And maybe a lot of that has to do with his struggles this year. But Carr, the way he gets the ball out, would have given you a better shot to win those games at a higher rate and give you a shot in the division against the Titans. From a financial standpoint, and I I couldn't remember where his contract was, so I just double-checked it. If the Raiders cut him after this season, it's only a $5.6 million dead cap number for the Raiders. So if they decide, and maybe there's a market there for him, but it's not going to be the market it was last offseason. If they decide to cut him, just for the sake of argument, because there's guaranteed money at stake, because he has a contract that is going to kick in that the numbers on it are not quite Russell Wilson numbers, but they're high-level numbers on the extension. If they don't cut him, he becomes a harder asset to move. If they just cut him straight up and the Colts could acquire him at the right price, as long as you, I'm promised and Colts fans are promised that the quarterback of the future is drafted this year, or at least they try to get somebody, not a six-round pick, but like a first-rounder or a second-rounder, maybe I could stomach that. And that's me looking at the other side of the coin. My personal opinion, no, I'm not bringing in Derek Carr here. I'm looking elsewhere for a stopgap if I have to. I do have a problem. As much as I believe that Carr would have had the Colts compete, I do have a problem that if the Colts don't have a true number one wide receiver, That's why they traded they for don't. Devontae Adams. Right. right, right. And Carr couldn't make it work with a top three receiver in this league. He probably struggles more here from a receiving standpoint. So as much as I'd like to think the Colts compete, he couldn't win games with Devontae Adams. And then Josh Jacobs did that amount of work and they still stink. Well, they did have their moments, which is why, to your point, you would need to fill that goal with a number one wide receiver, right? It can't just be Pittman. Yeah. I would put larger blames on the Raiders' failings. I think you would, too, on Josh McDaniels and company because it has been a, a an abject failure at times, not just on Carr, but on the team as a whole. I'm with you. Time to step away before we enter in the final hour of the show on this, the final show Final edition of the Fan Midday Show for 2022. Emery Hunt and Aaron Neesmith coming up in the 2 o'clock hour. Emery Hunt starts us off first when we return talking college football and getting you set for bowl weekend in the college football playoff on the fan. It is the... 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Last hour of 2022. Brennan King, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison around the horn on the fan, on the Mower Shop hotline. Brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers. And themowershop.com. This is a smart guy we're about to talk to from CBS Sports HQ, Emery Hunt, who I met last year at the NFL Draft Combine here in Indianapolis. Glad, by the way, the Combine is staying in Indy, so we'll get to see Emery there. Emery with CBS Sports HQ, the owner of the football game plan, also a former running back in college at the University of Louisiana Lafayette. Emery, man, it's great to be with you. And as we get towards New Year's Day in the NFL, maybe what's the biggest story line on your mind in the league right now who's going to make the playoffs in the nfc you know a lot is up for for grabs here man and it, it's funny to watch it all boil down as it seems to have always been the last couple of years with the nfl it's coming down to the last week of the season and, and you know still a lot of spots up for grabs so the nfc playoff pictures is what i'm most focused on emory when you look at our side of things here in Indianapolis, I know that they aren't dominating the national conversation right now, but but when you reflect on where the Colts were projected to be at when the season started to the roller coaster that's kind of on its, on its downward trajectory into the ground right now, what have been your overall takeaways from the national perspective around the Colts? You know, I thought the Colts actually were going to win the AFC South when they signed Matt Ryan. You thought Matt Ryan would have had a little bit more left in the tank because now he's with an offense that has an offensive line. They have great running back. They have great options, I thought, at receiver. A lot of talent, young talent at receiver. Defensively, they should be better. Um, you know, especially when you get Gilmore in there. It's like, oh, this is going to be a really good football team. They can overtake Tennessee, who's kind of one-dimensional. Jacksonville's up and coming. And the Houston Texans are the Houston Texans. But – to watch it all unfold, it really just showed me that, you know, you really never know. Just when you think you have a grasp on what can happen in the NFL and based off personnel, nothing is guaranteed. Same situation with New Orleans. I thought they would clearly win the NFC South. And every week you just see, like, man, it can't get worse. But for Indy's case, it definitely can get worse. And I thought, it, it, I, listen, I know they got to play the Giants this week. But it can't get worse than what we saw against the Chargers, especially on offense. I thought they had that game won. The Chargers were trying to give them the game, and Andy just couldn't make three plays uh, in 60 minutes to, to really put them away. So, yeah, it's been bad, but I didn't think it was going to be this bad for, for the Colts. Emery, like Jimmy said, from a national perspective, I think a lot of folks around the country really – quite frankly, have been joking about what the Colts have done at quarterback. Let's call it the last four years, five years since Andrew Luck retired, and now it can't help the fact that they've gone from Matt Ryan, benched him twice, Sam Ellinger, now Nick Foles is the starter, and they're trotting out Foles again in New York this weekend. Emery, you work a lot when it comes to draft prospecting and whatnot, too, so what do the Colts have to do to get away from this quarterback carousel that has been entrenched in this organization for half a decade? I think they have to just draft a guy that they feel as though can help push them over the hump. Because, again, a lot of those things I've talked about are still in place for Indianapolis. You're going to have the great back in Jonathan Taylor. Your offensive line will be better next year. You still have great pieces up front. You have young, really good talent at receiver. And now, based off this season, you see you have 
depth and talent at tight end. So the offense is going to be fine. You just need someone that's young, able to make some throws down the field, maybe be athletic as well to help you move the offense if things are covered up downfield in the passing game. And on defense, I feel like we just got to get healthier, add maybe another pass rusher, add some more depth at linebacker, continue to stockpile secondary. So that's the that's where you have to be your deepest and strongest, in my opinion, in this day and age in the NFL. So with their first pick, I feel like they should go quarterback. And there's one of three options that I would probably choose is either, you know, Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, or C.J. Stroud. To me, any one of those three works well with the Indianapolis Colts. Emery, it's kind of like we are, as a station, living two weeks into the future because we've already kind of accepted that the offseason is upon us. So I apologize that some of these questions are present-day NFL and some of them are, are looking down the line. But when you examine just overall the and I don't want them to do this by the way we've tried the retread it's happened it's failed but when you look at the potential quarterbacks that are going to be out there whether as stop gaps or whether as leaders of the franchise where does this free agent or quarterbacks that might be traded outlook appear to be heading into the offseason a month and a half two months from now all of these guys have questions you know for let's say for someone like a Derek Carr, who's now the more recent guy that's going to be on the market, nine years he had in, in Vegas uh, with the Raiders, and he's pretty much been the same guy. Do you really want to go down that route? And he's kind of been an average quarterback. I know people say, well, look at Matt Stafford, but are we really counting Matt Stafford as a reason why the Rams won the Super Bowl last year? Will we <laughs> uh, one drop interceptions away from him not even making the Super Bowl? Um, so can we really count on Carr? Jameis Winston would be an intriguing option. He's talented, yes. He's still young, yes. But now, back-to-back years, you got to ask yourself, Jameis has been hurt a lot. You know, can you depend on him to be out there for a full 16-, 17-game season? And everyone talks about Jimmy G, but everyone forgets why they drafted Trey Lance because everyone didn't like Jimmy G. So all of these players have questions. Do you run the risk of, okay, maybe we can be the fresh start for Zach Wilson if he becomes available? But do you really want to – uh, you know, subject him to that kind of, uh, you know, trauma and, and that kind of uh, scrutiny. You did that with Carson Wentz. Think you could save Carson Wentz, who was a high draft pick that busted out, in my opinion. So it, it, all of these guys that can potentially come available all have significant costs. Oh, Emery, we still got you? Emery, you still there? We could try and link back up. Yeah, you may try to either reconnect or, or give him a call back real quick. That's I, mo- I, I did think it was interesting how he mentioned it's one of Richardson, Young, or Stroud. Because I think a lot of Colts fans would be happy with that. I think so, too. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. In terms of the one that I haven't been able to see as much of all three, it, it's been Richardson. So that's one where we're still at a boat of, if that happens, where it's Richardson, that means either the Colts liked him better than Stroud or Stroud and Young are both off the board and the pressure is on to get a quarterback and, and that's who they like best of the remaining crop. So I'm not going to sit here and and say I, I have the ability to fully evaluate where Richardson belongs in that discussion, but I have seen enough of Richardson and Young and Stroud to say that in terms of enthusiasm around the future, that's going to be bright regardless. Right? I think so. I, I mean, there's going to be excitement around... You talked about it, how if you have a veteran quarterback that is in, there's going to be calls like there is for every fan base of, 
Because they're doing it for Ellinger right now. We want Stroud. We want Young. Why isn't he starting? The fan base is going to be hungry for whichever quarterback this is. And even if there's griping and, and complaining about which one they select, those are going to be put to bed once the guy goes out there and performs. I mean, it's just ultimately, that's what's going to come down to with all the complaining and everything at quarterback is whoever they take, can they perform at a high level? Looks like we have Emery back. Emery, sorry about that. Uh, as a welcome you back, kind of picking up where you left off in general, you were talking about the, the state of the quarterback options. You already mentioned Carr. You mentioned Stafford. I, I know that whatever happens in Green Bay with Rodgers or Love, uh, that's being speculated as well. But in general, like you said, a lot of question marks across the league if you go the retread option yet again in Indianapolis. Yeah, and also d- dropped in James Winston. Right, right. You know, again, he's hurt. he's been hurt a couple of years. So, again, you have a lot of questions. So instead of really you know, trying to do what you've done the last couple of years, which is the definition of insanity, why not just start fresh with a rookie and give yourself a little bit more leeway to build from there? Emery Hunt on the guest line, brought to you by The Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Emery from CBS Sports HQ, the owner of the football game plan. Emery, I want to get back to the three names you mentioned when it comes to the draft. You said Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, and C.J. Stroud. I think Colts fans would be... Very happy with any of the three. We had Pat Forty on at 1 o'clock, and I asked Pat this same question. I want to get your take on it, that Bryce Young is playing for Alabama this weekend. Of course, C.J. Stroud is playing for Ohio State for a chance at a national championship. Uh, Will Levis is not pro- playing for Kentucky, but when it comes to helping or hurting your draft stock, the f- two guys that you mentioned, Stroud and Young, how much can they? help or hurt their draft stock with what we're about to watch this week? I think they can. I think it can. That's a good question. I feel like it can go either way because we know human nature is, is all about what you saw last. So if you see somebody playing a great game in a championship game, oh, wow, like, you know, that's the guy I want. But it can also go the other way because we saw Deshaun Watson play the best game possible against Alabama, and they still took Mr. Trubisky ahead of him. We saw Justin Fields in a game against Clemson pretty much have to play that game one-dimensional because they knocked his hip out of place and he couldn't run anymore. He had to beat him with his arm. And we saw them draft, God knows, everyone ahead of him. You know, people, Giants traded back so they could not draft him um, to take someone else. So it never really goes how you think it's going to go. You would hope if a team, uh, you know, plays, plays in a bowl game or a significant game, you play well. It elevates your stock, but we've seen history show you that it really doesn't matter. It's really all about what they do once they get their hands on these guys and meet these guys um, face-to-face. Now, I said all that to say like you don't want to play bad in the game because they'll use it against you, but it just seems like if you play well, it, it really doesn't help you. Emory, I know this is still a tough question because there's still two games to play, but shifting back to the NFL playoff picture for a second – Obviously, Tua out in concussion protocol. Teddy Bridgewater to start this week for the Dolphins. They battle the Patriots. Both those teams still hunting for a playoff spot in as the last one available. Uh, Jets are still in that mix as well. You have a little bit of edge, I suppose. We're not asking this five weeks ago. We're asking it with two to play. How do you think the last spot in the AFC ends up shaking out? I think we'll see the Dolphins get in. Teddy Bridgewater, to me, is a better quarterback than Mike White. Um, and they have the better matchup. I like the matchup of them versus the Patriots. 
as opposed to the Jets going up against Seattle this week. I feel like Seattle gives is a potential problem. You know, you don't know which Seattle team you're going to get, but man, they can really attack you vertically down the field. Um, you know, they had a Pro Bowl pass to Geno Smith, but we know their defense is not that good. Their offensive line will be in a bit of a uh, challenge against the Jets, so the Jets could potentially win that game. But I know for a fact that the Patriots are have packed it in. You know, this is a football team that just doesn't look like a Bill Belichick coach team. Mac Jones looks like he should be a backup at best. And if they don't have the benefit of a run game, which they may not have versus the Dolphins, Christian Wilkins has played really well on the interior along with the defensive line. Uh, it could be a problem because they don't have the guys on the perimeter that can really threaten that secondary, which is where they're weakest. And that's going to be an issue in this one. So I feel like the Dolphins with Teddy can win that game and the Jets have a bit of a, a bit of a challenge in Seattle. Emery, how good has Trevor Lawrence become over the last two and a half months? And can he win a playoff game? He's become really good, man. And the, the only way he could not win a playoff game is what has to stay in the regular season as they move forward, if they're going to go to the playoffs, the turnovers. And it may not be an interception, but the fumbles have to stop. He's been putting the ball on the ground far too often for my liking. That that has to really discontinue and stay in the regular season. But with the weapons they have at receiver, at tight end, you see a resurgence from Evan Ingram. With all of what they have at their disposal, they have enough to where they can they have a puncher's chance in the playoffs of winning a game because they're so explosive and so dynamic. And on defense, they have athleticism at all three levels, and they're opportunistic. So when you combine those two things, anything can happen. Emery Hunt, nice enough to take some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and the MotorShop.com for all your residential commercial motors, as well as snowblowers, power tools, equipment, services, and so much more. They have you covered at the Motor Shop and the MotorShop.com. Emery, for the angle at which we approach the final weeks of the regular season, even as a fan that loves the NFL, that, that, that injects red zone into my veins, the slog of it, it you could kind of feel it now with this extra game a couple years into that addition. In your mind, because of how well you monitor the NFL, what's had a bigger impact on the league as a whole? Taking away the two buys and adding in an extra team or the extension of the season to an 18th week? The Thursday night game. Yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's, that's the, the right answer. The Thursday night game and the adding of the extra week. And it's not necessarily adding of the extra week. It's more so the Thursday night game because you don't really have enough time to recover. And also, when you think about how training camp is now run, no longer are there two-a-days. No longer are there you know con- a lot of contact in practice. Some of it is good, but we've seen a byproduct of that throughout the course of the season. It takes longer now for guys to really get into gear, and usually the first three games of the season is essentially preseason games um, because guys are still trying to work themselves in the game shape. And and we're seeing way more injuries, and a lot of it is due to the fact that guys don't have the same – your body is not conditioned like it was back in the day um, prior to, to the rule changes or, you know, to the CBA changing. And, and, you know, now you have less practice time with less contact and you're getting ready for a full season. But for me, the, the the number one answer has to be Thursday night. If you could just eliminate Thursday night games, I feel like now you have a chance to, to really get a, a lot of a lot more out of your season as opposed to what we're seeing. The reason teams are limping because they have to that Thursday night game is brutal for everybody involved. 
Yeah, I mean, who would ever thought Thursday night between the Jaguars and the Jets would have <laughs> would have decided a playoff spot shortly before Christmas? Uh, Emery, I want to get your thoughts on where the Colts go from a coaching perspective, because I think a lot of people around here are hoping that the Colts can attract a big name like a Sean Payton. I'm not saying necessarily that that would be the guy, but just the type of name. By all accounts, it seems like Jeff Saturday is going to get an interview. It seems like the Colts are linked to Jim Harbaugh because he's in their ring of honor. Are the Colts an attractive enough spot right now, Emery, that a coach to the name like a Sean Payton would have any interest in coming here with the current situation the team is in? I think absolutely, because you have a lot of factors involved. Um, A high draft pick, so you can draft your guy. You have a talented roster on paper. We talked about that earlier. You have an owner, while some may say he's over the top, he wants to win, and you kind of want that in the owner. He, you know, he's hands-on, so he, he's a guy that gets it. He understands football. He wants to win. He's willing to do anything to win. You want that in your back pocket as well. And you play indoors. So now you really don't have to deal with the elements for eight games, nine games, depending on how the schedule falls out for you. So you get optimal situation indoors um, for nine, eight or nine games of the season. That's perfect. So, yes, it is an attractive job, and guys have won there before. So you can you can go to, to Jim Moore when he was back in the RCA Dome, had the team in the playoffs. Then you go to the Jim Caldwells. You go to the Tony Dungeons. You, you know, everybody has won there. Um, Frank Wright won there early in his career. So you can win in Indianapolis in the roster, the draft capital, an owner that wants to win, the, the conditions indoor. It, there's a lot to like about playing in Indy. Emery, when you look at the draft capital that the the Colts are going to operate with and the the hits and misses they've had over the years, Chris Ballard continues to be the architect for the Colts, and it appears he's going to be the same moving forward. He's been praised nationally at times. He's been criticized a handful as well. Uh, Where is your pulse on the Colts should Chris Ballard indeed still be their general manager in 2023? I kind of like what he's done, man. Like, he's done a good job in building the offensive line. He's done a really good job in adding young talent. You got Jonathan Taylor. You get Michael Pittman. You know, they showed the commitment to stay with the guy. Um, uh, like the kid from Ohio State, uh, that's in the slot number one, his name slips my mind. But he's going through those injuries, and you stay with him, and now he's starting to be productive. He hit these tight ends. I think the one area where he's kind of missed on players has been their pass rusher. You know, I know Quiddy Pay is starting to become productive, but that's not what you drafted him for. You drafted him to be a, a difference maker. But Nagu didn't work out. So you, you really want to see him hit on the pass rusher. He's hit everywhere else. Linebacker, DB, undrafted guys, late-round guys, everywhere else on the roster he's hit except pass rusher. So I would still keep him around. I still think he's done a very good job um, it, with, with, uh, as general manager of that team. Yeah, I know it's because the team is not winning. We'll see if he can hit on the quarterback. That's going to be the biggest key uh, moving forward. He's sort of joked about that in the past, so I, I want to get your take on this. Why is it that some general managers can be fearful or, or anxious or hesitant to go out and, and, and make that selection of quarterback with a high-value pick? Because everybody loves those big paychecks that come with being the general manager, and the fastest way to lose those big paychecks <laughs> It's a miss on a quarterback. Sure. You know, everybody will blame you for the reason why it, it happened, especially when you look now in the era of 24-hour sports coverage. 
and you know media covers the way it is of the NFL along with the online media coverage of the NFL where now you have fan sites that also do a good job of covering the team and giving their take. So no one will ever let you forget that you were the guy that drafted, you know, Josh Rosen over Lamar Jackson, right? So that's why a lot of guys are afraid to make that that move. So they try to play it, take, oh, let's get a veteran to come in, you know, that can help guide the ship. And But you still miss and you still have an issue. But you, it is not as egregious of a miss, of a miss if you miss on – a draft pick. So that's why guys want to try to build up the team around. Sounds great on paper. I agree. But you can't be afraid to shoot for the stars and get a great quarterback. And I think that's what they have to do. Mission number one this offseason in the draft for Indianapolis, you better nail that quarterback pick with your high first-round selection. Emery, as mentioned, we met at the Combine this past year in Indianapolis. I know there's been Talk over the last period of time of moving the combine out of Indy for good. I think the sense is that it's sticking around for now. Um, is it important to you that it stays in Indy, or do you want it to expand elsewhere? It's important to me that it stays in Indy. We are in an era now, and just a philosophical view of things from life, you know, where we're losing traditions. You know, the Rose Bowl is not the same as it was growing up when it used to be the granddaddy of them all, right? It's not. And so I kind of like things stand, certain things staying the way they are. I want I want the draft to really move back to New York City, Radio City Music Hall, you know? I want the chaos that ensues there. But I want the, the combine to stay in Indy. Indy is a fantastic city to host the combine. Everything is centrally located. It's easy to fly in and out of. There's multiple flights a day. You can get direct flights in especially coming from New York City area, is perfect for me. Um, but I just feel like we, we've grown up knowing cities that are synonymous with certain things. New Orleans, Mardi Gras, Indy, Combine, New York City. Radio City used to be the draft. You know, we kind of want that to, to still be the thing. Um, and I, I miss that. And I hope Indy never loses uh, the Combine. Emory, I asked you about the bottom of the AFC playoff picture, top of the AFC playoff picture, that battle between Cincinnati, Buffalo, and Kansas City. Where do you ultimately see the one seed going over these final two weeks? I think Kansas City gets the one seed. Uh, Buffalo has been playing with their food a lot lately, you know, and it's going to come back and bite them in the end. Um, But if we're talking in the playoffs, if you give me a healthy Lamar Jackson with a better Ravens defense now and a run game that's starting to pop with the, you know, Justin Tucker that once you cross the 50 or get to the 50, <laughs> you're, that's that's the team that would scare me. Um, but it, right now, if we're talking about the one seed. I, I think Kansas City, because they have the easier path to get there, um, they have the best player in the, in the game and, and Patrick Mahomes. You know, between Buffalo and, and Cincinnati, both teams to me, if you told me they go to the Super Bowl, I wouldn't have an argument. If you told me they lost in the first round, I wouldn't have an argument because that's how they play. They, they always tend to play around with, with teams that they shouldn't play around with. And at some point, especially when you get in the playoffs, they come back to bite you. Emery Hunt from CBS Sports HQ with us on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. Emery, we'll get you out on this college football playoff coming up. How do you see it shaking out? Give me Georgia and Michigan in the title game, and I think we're, we're, we'll be in for a treat. Michigan has been playing some fantastic football. Georgia has leaned into who they are. They really beat you with their tight ends in their in their run game. That's it's funny to watch because 
name their receivers. You really can't. It's just those tight ends that kill you. And if you can't cover one tight end, it's a problem. But now you got to worry about three to four tight ends that they have on the roster that could legit beat you, along with Stetson Bennett scrambling around. So if I had to pick a champion, I would probably lean toward Georgia. But I do feel like we're going to see Georgia and Michigan come out of this weekend as, as uh, the two teams that will meet in the playoff in the, the title game. Henry Hunt on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. Actually, last, last thing. Uh, do you recommend a future bet for Bo Nix as the Heisman winner? I saw you tweet. <laughs> Oh yeah, we were, it's a running joke. We said like, um, you know, Bo, Bo Nix is one of those those guys that, and, and it's always this way. If you have a spotlight game where <laughs> your team comes back, your uniform is dirty and gritty, <laughs> have touchdown, two picks, everybody will jump on you, and you be the you be the king of the. They, they need to draft this guy number one overall. But so that's why I tweeted out like, hey, Bo Nix is having one of these Bo Nix grit moxie type games. Gus Johnson is on the call, and and it's it's a ranked game. Like, come on, man, you you can't help but say this dude is going to be the number one option next year, the front runner. Anytime Gus Johnson is involved and you having a great game, your stock is just going to elevate. Magical stuff. Every hunt from CVS Sports HQ. Appreciate the time, Emery. Thanks for jumping on. Appreciate you guys. He is with us on the hotline. Brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. It's never too early for a. 2023 Heisman bet, Jay Cook. Futures are there for a reason. I love it. I love. You probably get some good money on that. Honestly, Bo Nix is confirmed going back to Oregon. Yeah, so I'm not I'd against sprinkling about something on there for sure. I think about it. sprinkle a little something something. I'm Brendan King with Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison. It is our last show of 2022. Hope you all have a fantastic New Year here this weekend. We are going to close the show pretty darn strong. Aaron Naismith. One of the stars last night as the Pacers defeat the Cavs, 135-126. Neesmith was a plus 18, scored 22 points, absolutely rattled. Jared Allen, Neesmith, that dunk, wound up on the top 10, surely. Actually, I saw they asked Ben Matherin uh, if that was the best dunk he ever saw, and then Matherin said it was his own in the NCAA tournament with Arizona. Do you remember that one? I do. Yeah. That, that was in was part of a uh, large of my infatuation with Ben Mather and occurred during I the would, NCAA tournament. I would love to be able to get asked, was this the best thing you've ever seen? And say, no, mine was. Yeah. I, you know? I mean, it, takes, it takes a level of bravado and confidence, but I expect nothing less from Ben Matherin, and I, I'm i sure everybody in that locker room appreciates that as well. Aaron Neesmith, the Vanderbilt alum, former Boston Celtic, now an Indiana Pacer. He will join us next. Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, Aaron Neesmith coming up on The Fan. There's so much I like about... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. That call, obviously, Mark Boyle's cadence and, and sense of the moment for an in-game dunk is electric. I think for me, though, it's it's Eddie Gill's gasp as Aaron Nisbet takes off, BK. Because he knew right away it was about to be legendary. Eddie Gale, recurring guest to the Fan Midday Show. Indeed, indeed he was. It's a highlight play for the ages, a highlight play that shook all of Cambridge Fieldhouse. And we're joined now by the very man who put Jared Allen on a poster last night, Aaron Neesmith of your Indiana Pacers. Aaron, I, I have uh, at best a credit card vertical leap, if that. Uh, what's it like to fly like that? <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, it was just it was fun spur of the moment. You know, I just drove baseline and uh, just elevated. Aaron, I know it's your first year in Indianapolis coming over from the Boston Celtics, and you're getting here at a good time to play inside Gamebridge Fieldhouse, not only with a fun team, but after the renovation, too. It's been a really fun environment when I've been inside the building this year. What have you thought about playing in front of Pacers fans for the first time this year? I'm sure the building was pretty loud last night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the building was extremely loud last night. Um, I think that was our first sold-out game of the year, uh, is what I was told after the game. So, um it's been a lot of fun playing in front of these fans. They're loud. They're loud. They care. They know their basketball. Um, so it's just been been a great time so far. Aaron, I know that there's a, a fine balance for NBA players of, of team success versus individual success, and you guys obviously have your goals as a collective. But to, to have you be selfish for a second, walk us through what the last twelve hours or so have been like. Whether it's your your mentions being blown up, whether it's your phone, uh, when you have a highlight play like that, and, and just what the locker room was like uh, afterwards. Uh, yeah, the phone phone's been going crazy, uh, sleeping all night nonstop. Had to had to like put it under some sheets so I could go to sleep. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it was just it's it's fun to be able to make you know a highlight play like that, and everybody from back home and uh, from college tweeting and, and mentioning you on Instagram and stuff. And uh, you know, the locker room was fun afterwards. They put it on the big screen and. Um, the last thing we saw before we brought it in and uh, you know just kind of making sure you uh, cherish the moment but you know move on just quick move on to the next one Pacers forward Aaron Neesmith with us on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and the Mowershop.com. Aaron I think the attractiveness of this team of you guys as a unit this year is your just pure athleticism and all the trades that have been made and the deals that have been made to get you guys together. But you and O'Shea and Buddy and Tyrese playing the defense that you do and then Miles in the middle. Have you been part of many more just pure athletic dudes on one bench in your career? Nah, man, this is a, uh, yeah, we got some high-level athletes on this team for sure. You know, like, like you said, you got me, O'Shea, Drew, Buddy, Tyrese all playing defense, and then, you know, you got, like, the best shot blocker in the league and Miles cleaning everything up at the rim. So it's just been it's been a lot of fun and high-level high level, high level uh, athletes. Aaron, obviously last season it, it didn't go the way that the Celtics wanted it to in the finals, and I know that in terms of your growth, definitely a larger opportunity for you to shine here in Indiana. But if you could reflect back on – that run to the finals. What were your What were the biggest things you learned with the Celtics uh, over that run last year? Uh, that winning is hard. That winning in this league uh, is not a very easy thing to do. Um, especially, you know, going from being a top seed in the regular season and maintaining that. Uh, I would say maintaining that flow and rhythm and uh, keeping that into the playoffs, and then you know to beat a team four times. It's not easy to do, no matter who the competition is. So uh, that definitely taught me just how important every possession is and how important every possession matters. Aaron, getting the play for a guy like Rick Carlisle now in your career, Jimmy and I are just a few years older than you, so at least I grew up watching the Dallas Mavericks team and then ultimately their championship, Rick coaching, I'm sure you as an NBA fan, you did the same. So after watching a guy like Rick growing up, I'm sure, what's it like now to play for him? Uh, it's pretty cool. You know, I was, a, I was a Miami Heat fan growing up. 
Um, and so I was definitely watching that, that final series in 2011. Um, so it's super cool to be able to, you know, watch, watch Rick coach the kid and now being able to play for him and um, kind of use the concepts that I watched on TV. So it's been, it's been really awesome. What's probably the biggest thing you've learned from him so far? Uh, continuity, um, and, you know, I would say just ways to impact the game off the ball. Aaron, we talk a lot about the grind of the NBA season. We, we had Eddie Gill, uh, the Patriots Radio Network, come on a couple days ago talking about you know, what he remembers from the grind and how difficult it is. There's going to be ebbs and flows, particularly when you have a young team, but you guys have won four of your last five now. Uh, how do you manage that on a nightly basis with the slog of the season? And what's been the biggest takeaway over this four wins in five game stretch for you guys? Uh, you know, playing playing the right way, really. You know, sharing the ball, cheering for each other's success. Um, and like you said, there's going to be ebbs and flows throughout the NBA season. You know, we had a little rough patch of games, especially on that West Coast trip. And it's just about being able to survive tough times like that and how quickly you could bounce back and get back on track. So. Um, we're doing a good job of, of winning games right now. we got to string them together. Aaron Neesmith of the Indiana Pacers is with us. Aaron, the game last night, high intensity. Cleveland, a good ball club. I mean, stacked through the East. A lot of good teams, a lot, a lot of good players. Just how intense was it on the floor last night playing in that highly contested game? Yeah, that was an intense game. I mean, that one had, uh, like, that's playoff ramifications right there in that kind of game, so... That's the way we approached it last night. That's what we talked about before the game. Um, and, you know, we went out there and accomplished what we set out to do. Aaron, what was the biggest improvement that Coach Carlisle and company preached to you guys after the loss to the Cavaliers up at uh, Cleveland earlier this month compared to the way you guys attacked and, and were physical from the jump against the Cavs last night? Uh, I mean, you said, like, just physical, you know, making them work for everything. Um, it was a tough loss in Cleveland a couple weeks ago, so um, that was, this was pretty much a revenge revenge game for that one. We should have won that one in Cleveland, so we weren't going to let this one slip away. Aaron, you've only been in Indy for a short time. Any favorite things about the city so far? Man, I lay low. I lay low during the season, so it's. I like. I, honestly, I love the peace and quiet out here. I love the space. Um, you know, when it was warmer out, there's a bunch of golf courses out here, so I was out there golfing. So you a big golfer? Yeah, I would say big golfer. I'm learning. I'm learning. <laughs> What's your yeah. best club? What's your best club? Uh, tell me my best the best score I've gotten. No, best. Cl- What's the best club in your bag? You you hit driver well. You putt oh, well. Oh, my seven iron. My seven iron. <laughs> so you're good. You're my good within iron. like 150. Yeah, I hit my seven like 170. Oh, why, man? You're a lot better than me, that's for damn sure. (laughs) In that same vein, Aaron, you talk about laying low. I always am fascinated by it because of the grind of the NBA season. You guys have a game tomorrow on New Year's Eve, but then you're off on the second. Uh, Very laid-back plans for you then, uh, New Year's Eve-wise? Yeah, yeah. Just chill, chill, get some family time, take it easy. Um, with games every other day, you know, you just got to take care of your body. Well, I can't blame you on that front. It's been fun to watch this process throughout the season. I wish you all the best moving forward. Happy New Year to you, and thanks again for making time today. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you. Happy holidays. Aaron, thanks, man. Sir. That's Aaron Neesmith.
On the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power, power tools, equipment, so much more at the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. If I can ever hit my 7-iron 170, I'm quitting radio and I'm going to play golf for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's ridiculous. He's jacked. It's insane. He looks like one of the most jacked players on the team. He uh, No, like, no he, very strong, yeah. but what a... Se- Guys, a seven iron is not supposed to go 170. He, he must drive yeah, the ball 350. But look at imagine his driver. I I can't even imagine that. Well, so we have somebody to try to uh, finagle for a, a golf lesson or two. Is that I, what you're you saying? Know, I, I'll tell you what. I will take him out for a round if he this can teach me I, how to do that. <laughs> so, when the Pacers have their golf outing, you need to go out there and just oh, I get watch. It. If me and him were in the same cart, I would look like Weenie Hut Junior. Yeah. At that point, <laughs> I'd just be taking notes at that point. <laughs> I would be, I would be his caddy at that point. Yeah. I or yeah. all exclusively putt for him. <laughs> but holy hell. We're going to take a quick break. We come back. We'll have final bets for 2022. Get you set as well for the massive sports weekend of the college football playoff. New Year's action for the Pacers against the Clippers and Colts Giants. Bets and more closing out 2022 on the Fan Midday Show. Back in a flash. This is the last segment of 2022. Sad. The last bets of 2022, my bets have been a trash can for the last week. I'm sorry. I forgive you. It's okay. But. It's always tomorrow. There's not tomorrow, <laughs> there, but there is today. There is always today. I guarantee. Whoa. For my people, I'm going to go on a heater to start 2023. Love it. For my people. Jimmy, give us something in the year. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Now, just to clarify that, does that mean that for the people, you're not going to close 2022 with a bang? No, I am, and okay. then that's going to okay. lead okay. into okay. a 2023 sure. heater. That's what I thought. Okay, it, it gets you jump-started into 2023. Okay, I, I understand. Just sticking with one game today with the plays, we're going with Notre Dame and South Carolina in the Gator Bowl. I'm going to take the Irish to win the money line in that one. But I'm also going to take Spencer Rattler of South Carolina over one and a half touchdown passes against the Irish this evening. Who's ready today first? Go to BK. This is the best price you'll get them at. The Oilers are playing the Seattle Kraken. Great name. I love their uniforms. Terrific uniforms. Great name. Great. This is the best price you're ever going to get the Oilers at because they're on the road. Give me the Oilers puck line to win by two. That is plus 205 with the two best players in the world on their roster. If you want value, there it is. Love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, Eddie is managing the show file right now. So if you have a bet, great. If you don't, I'll give you a pass for Brendan's booze. uh, Oh, no, no, no. no, no. I'm ready. No, I'm ready. uh, I was getting something ready uh, for when we hit a break. But I've got two. Okay. I'm going to take the over of the Clemson quarterback against Tennessee. Um, the line has shifted just a little bit. Right before the start of the segment, it was 249.5. It's gone up about six yards to 255.5 What bet now. is this? It's the Clemson quarterback against Tennessee. Um, his name is Kate Klubnik. I think that's how you're saying that. I just don't trust that secondary and that defense for Tennessee, so I'll take it. Uh, I'll still take it over 255.5. And, and then uh, my guy, who I have 
made some nice money off of De'Aaron Fox over 24 and a half points. I made money with you the other day. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I went uh, two and one the other day. I've gone back to back, I think, two and ones now. Uh, but anyway, taking him over 24 and a half points tonight. And then the final one in the Irish game starting at 330 in the Gator Bowl. I'm going to take that first quarter under 10 points. I think it'll take some time for uh, Tyler Buckner to get going offensively, and I think Notre Dame's defense is able to make it a little bit of trouble for South Carolina. Plus, it's kind of been a little bit of a theme over the first start of bowl season with these teams getting back into the swing of things. I know 98% of the country does not care about the Notre Dame game. I mean, yeah, it's probably sure. Uh, The outcome. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, but but you you could argue that with most bowls. But yeah, sure, go on. Right. I do actually think it's very important that Notre Dame wins this. I'm not in that camp. Really? Because they you, they need a bull win. It'd be it'd be very nice, so but, bad. But it, and I I'm right there with you. But I, I had the I have the same thought every year now with the emphasis on protecting yourself for the draft and players wanting to make sure they're at their highest peak before the season starts. The bowl games are are for cash. They're for for seniors on their way out, and they are for an entertainment extravaganza for college football fans over the final couple weeks of the season. That's why I I don't. Would, would it be nice and could you argue they need it? Yes. Is my outlook for 2023 going to be plagued? No, not me personally. I, I don't think it would be because it would plague 2023. I, they just need some good vibes up there. Sure. Badly. So bad. And when it comes to a bowl, I still have scar tissue from the Oklahoma State thing last year. I don't know about you. I do too. I, like I stressed earlier in the week, it was on my birthday. And oh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, happy birthday, right. by the way, uh, Jimmy! Not yet. Oh, not yeah, yet. happy not, birthday! Not not yet. Happy birthday to friend of the show as well, Greg Rickstraw. Happy birthday, happy birthday Greg Rickstraw! Uh, January first for your boy. I know, so. but I'm not going to be just, talking. I know to you. you won't, but you know, I'm just trying to. I'm trying to be supportive of my friend. That's very kind of you. You're so a gentleman and a scholar. Thank you very much. Take the compliment, Jimmy. Does that mean you're not going to text me now? I was really looking forward to text you. You're my radio co-host. Shifting towards the college football playoff for a second. I know I haven't had you guys look at the spread there respectively, but Georgia favored by six, Michigan favored by seven and a half, Michigan playing TCU, Georgia playing Ohio State. Any lean on either of those games, boys? Doesn't have to be the spread, could be a different bet, but any lean heading into the college football playoff? You know I hate hooks. You hate hooks, yes. I hate hooks. I despise them. Yep. Actually, my New Year's resolution is to get rid of hooks. Nice, if possible. All, 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 all hooks must. All hooks. Uh, unless you bet, unless you bet, bet plus hooks are good. Okay, but but laying hooks are bad. Sure. Um, that seven and a half scares the crap out of me. For Michigan, the half scares the hell out of me. Eddie, I th- sorry, I thought you were ready no, to dive I was in. just okay. waiting. No, I um, but I will take Georgia minus six and a half. I'm not just saying this because I'm going to a New Year's Eve party uh shout out to our friend robbie and diana uh where the host is an ohio state fan Ooh. i think the buckeyes cover i'm gonna scoop the plus six oh, i think this is i think this is a closer game than people are giving credit georgia probably ultimately wins but i'll scoop the six okay i'm gonna i'm gonna let i'm gonna take bulldogs to lay the points okay okay i'll take my six and a half I, I don't want to take. Here's the problem, though. I've got Georgia minus six straight, not a really. Not a hook or yeah, anything, it is. It, yeah, sorry. It, yeah, the, the, hook, the hook is with uh, on just on looking at, at draft. Oh, the hook's gone. 
The hook is gone for I'm Georgia Ohio State. It's only for TCU oh, Michigan. Woo! Okay. Well, there's see, no sponsors. You I, can see, say I, any sponsor. I, I hate, I hate, 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 hate the hook in TCU Michigan, but I'm not confident enough to take TCU plus seven and a half. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, sir. So you're betting an over under? Or you're staying uh, away entirely? I, I, maybe take a look at uh, Dugan's touchdown over okay. under. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I will say shout out to a friend of the show, Peter Hood, as well. Uh, for his sake, I'm not going to bet a ton of money on this, but we'll bet unders in both games as well. He's a team under oh. guy. I'll, I'll take the under on both the 58 for TCU Michigan and the 62 and a half for Georgia Ohio State. Eddie, any bets in that time frame? Any other bets this weekend that, that, that pique your interest? I uh, have not had really much of a chance okay. to look. I would probably take the favorites in both games if I had to guess. Both, well, on the spread for both games. Uh, go ahead. Not afraid of the hook. Uh, Colts, Giants. Pepsi. Uh, oh, Pepsi Jinx. on the bet? Pepsi? No, no Jinx. You owe me a oh, Pepsi. Okay. We said, we I said go ahead. I thought it was Jinx Poke. You owe me a Coke. It is Coke. He he, he totally died. My dad brand. always said Pepsi. Yeah, that's okay. No oh, Coke, Pepsi. Pepsi no guy. Coke, Pepsi. No, 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 no. My, well, my dad's a Pepsi guy. But he he always... My, have you ever seen this SNL skit, No Coke, Pepsi? Yes. Yeah. That was on every single day. I thought we were getting a, a bombshell of revelations. Brennan King is a no, Pepsi Coke, guy Pepsi. Out, out, no of, Coke, out, of, Pepsi. out of 2022. Uh, Colts, Giants, I think my prediction, and I think the tweet's out already, was uh, 20 to... I'm at 27-13 Giants. Correct. I'm I'm just... I'm appalled by uh, the number of people that think the Colts are going to score a touchdown. <laughs> Brendan, you're one of them. I I, I do I do I couldn't go like twelve. I feel like they'll get a touchdown out of this game. Where it but comes from, I think I don't it'll know. be a it'll be a defensive touchdown. There you go. Oh, Pick six. Good work. Ooh, okay. okay. Ooh, ooh. Uh, no, actually, I'd bet Daniel Jones to throw an interception. Okay, I'm not against that type I of prop bet. The, actually, you know what? I'm gonna bet that right now. All right. You could probably get some. I don't know what the odds on that would be, but I would. How much time have we got? Oh, we got about we, two minutes. Here. Oh, okay, great. I, I would definitely take the under. Definitely okay. take the under. Under thirty and a half. I really, honestly. I do not think Daniel Jones and that offense and Brian Dable, they're going to try and throw the ball. They're going to try and just pound it out, run down the clock, you know, and just go away with the win easily. There's no chance. There's no reason if you're the Giants to try and go out there and try and do something you typically don't do game to game because of how bad that Colts offense has been. And right. We uh, had Dan Dugan on earlier, and he talked about, you know, the Giants are going to blitz a lot. The Giants are blitzing a lot. That's a lot of pressure for Nick Foles. Can he get the ball out in time? That's a big question. All right, boys. Daniel Jones is plus 112 to throw an interception. Yeah, sure. I love that. I'll ride with you I love that. I love it. I low-key love it. Low-key, high-key? High-key, love it. Daniel Jones to throw an interception. I'm right there with you. Here, here. He's only thrown five this year. To Eddie's point, though, and... And he has yet to throw him in back-to-back games. With how bad that the... Don't co- care about the analytics! <laughs> never tell him the odds! No, never! When you look at where the Colts are at offensively, to your point, Eddie, it, the Giants are a win away from make, making the playoffs, achieving a goal of theirs this season. I think that's why the books have the line where it is, because it's going to be a, an ugly, grinded-out type of game. How quickly are the Colts in a double-digit hole remains to be seen, but I think that's why they have it marked that way is because the Colts' defense is good enough to keep them in it, and the Giants' defense isn't high-powered enough to run them out of the building, in my mind. Boys, it has been fun. Jimmy, 
You are not here Monday. I'm not here Monday. I'll be back in on Tuesday. You have yourself a terrific birthday, my Thank friend. Thank you, sir. Charlie Clifford, I believe, right, Eddie, will be with us on Monday. So look forward to that. Thank you so much to Dan Dugan, Pat Forty, Emery Hunt, Aaron Neesmith. What do you got? Happy New Year to all the, the Cooks and the Neelys and all my family members and, and the friends. Garrisons and the Kings. And the Garrisons and the Kings. Uh, happy New Year, everybody. It's been a great 2022. We will see you in 2023.